Welcome back, everyone, to Red Spotlight. Yeah, we're still here. <laughs> I'm Alexis Soto, and I'm joined by, as you can see, David Francisco. Um, we've had quite a bit of fun here on uh, our podcast lately. Of course, this is a show that brings you all of the latest going on in the world of movies and more. Uh, and especially to more in that kind of title here, um, we are discussing a lot about Ahsoka, clearly. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about Ahsoka today, as well as um, Blue Beetle and how things are moving along uh, in the industry, of course. But to the point of Ahsoka... Uh, we recently just uploaded a reaction to the first two episodes on our YouTube channel. So, if you're listening, and if you want to go and see those reactions, and also see our faces if you'd like, mm. um, you, all you have to do is look up Red Spotlight Entertainment on YouTube, and you will find us there. Of course, if you happen to already be watching us on YouTube, then you could uh, also just <laughs> go on the channel and see our video there. And I'm curious to see what kind of reaction that ends up getting. This is going to be episode 456 uh, of our podcast here. And so it, it's, you know, just I have David here with me. Um, before we get into any of, you know, the Ahsoka stuff, it's just, it's an interesting time for us because we're obviously um, experimenting a lot with video. We're, we're trying to do a lot more with that these days. And uh, seemingly, uh, so far, I feel like the, the, the response amongst those in our group um, has been pretty positive. I've, I've genuinely uh, have enjoyed all of what we've done so far as far as the video thing is concerned and you know what it kind of is uh, kind of surprising how quickly it's already like I think this is at the very least the third podcast that's gonna have a video component and this is the fourth uh, project overall mm -hmm. if, you if you include the reaction to the uh, episodes then it's the fourth one so it's like wow we're already getting you know <laughs> up and running here with uh, with the video and everything and I just think it's wonderful and hopefully this will give listeners a chance to see our faces um, actually it brings an extra dimension to be able to see um, our conversations <laughs> instead of just imagining um, what we look like, I guess, on just audio. But the, of course, the audio will always be uh, available and always be separate. So, um, of course, uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts, whether it be Spotify or Apple, will always be there. So, that's um, what we've been up to. But I wanted to get your perspective. How do you think uh, things have gone on your end? Since you're the one that's manning all... Uh, <laughs> All this stuff. Uh, yeah. No, it's been fun. We're still working some stuff out. Um, in our reaction video, you'll notice some parts are out of sync. Um, we're still trying to fix that up. I'm trying to figure that out as we go along. Um, so, but yeah, I really liked editing our reaction video. I It's always... I, actually, I really do love editing in general, honestly. It's just always fun trying to like focus on like the little tiny details in editing and all that when to actually cut between the episode and all that and i'm hoping it's enough of like a distraction when i put the video up and then maybe sometimes you don't notice that there's a cut in between our <laughs> and our footages i always love that in in it um 
and other people's YouTube videos and all that. Whenever there's like these little tricks you do to make it look seamless or something, or just make it look mm. like it's all in one take and all that. It's always fun to do stuff like that <laughs> or to try, try to figure that out. <laughs> no, for sure. I, I definitely was not as subtle. Um, as a former editor myself, when I would do, uh, let's say, not, well, yeah, I guess reaction videos or movie review videos, I wouldn't necessarily care. Uh, again, at that point in time, that jump cut was very much the thing to do. Um, but of course, uh, as times change, so does the style. And so I, you know what, from, for my money, I really enjoy how it's been looking like and, uh, where we've been. And I, I definitely do appreciate you, um, being here to do that because if it wasn't for you, um, well, there really wouldn't be anybody else available mm -hmm. to do it because quite frankly, we barely have the time to even be here as it is yeah. um a lot of us are just so damn busy um that thing that kept peter away for a long time it's back mm. and from what i from what i've been told it's worse than ever so yeah it's 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 rough and it's especially saddening because you know we've been talking a lot lately about um how much we've enjoyed um getting to go see old movies again and this weekend if any of you have the opportunity to do so though i understand of course but by the time this is even uploaded maybe it may not even be the weekend but uh the point is jurassic park is celebrating its 30th anniversary and it is back in theaters they were showing yesterday in my theater and they didn't know i mean of yeah. course they were showing it in your theater but no, of yeah. course <laughs> Well, it was in 3D, so I don't think I would have watched it either way. Well, uh, you know what? I I understand. I 3D wouldn't be my preference. If, uh, if I had a, a, a – my preference, it'd be IMAX. But that's neither here nor there, pretty, honestly, because from what I understand, that this, this thing, this re-release happens to be in 3D. But then again, um, I happen to enjoy it when it's done well. Um, and the Avatar films – do 3d very well so i wasn't complaining there and even i ended up seeing titanic in 3d which <laughs> was interesting uh again that's a james cameron movie so you got to do it in 3d yeah um yeah i mean I, I guess i don't particularly mind it um my thing is i don't care how you present it i would like to go and see it but again ask me if my theater is is doing it no of course not they're doing. I didn't even let you guess because, of course, you already knew it wasn't going to be the case. Um, that, you know, it doesn't even matter that Sunday it's going to be cinema day where um, if you go to the movies, it'll be like $4 a ticket. And then there'll also be like special, like, you know, sale prices on other items, I guess, if you want to do any of that. But it's like, okay, so you're not going to show it, which is strange to me because I think that that would garner some kind of like, I don't know, attention. It's also even stranger still when you think about the idea that they've been participating in Ghibli Fest all year long. Um, they just showed Porco Rosso and Princess Mononoke and The Wind Rises, by the way, in the last two to three weeks at this particular theater. Um, but they didn't show – they're not going to show Jurassic Park. It opened today, Friday, August 25th, the 30th anniversary. I assume it's only going to be here for this weekend and then it's, you know, it's gone and everything. Um, and, but do you know what they're showing instead? Do you know what they're bringing back in theaters instead? Mm. Something that's already on digital and something that everyone's already seen? Super Mario Brothers. 
I know they're also bringing back Little Mermaid for some theaters. <sighs> yeah, it's still it's still fucking there. I don't understand fucking Americans. I mean, how many ways can you fucking suck? Of course, one of the ways you can continue to do so is just by supporting the wrong fucking movies. <sighs> I mean, hey, I, I think I also saw that Spider-Verse has come back, so... Not gonna uh. complain about that, you know. That's something, but I mean, it's like it's the 30th anniversary of one of the most infamous films of all time, and you're not gonna be playing it mm-hmm. the same way they didn't play ET, they didn't play Jaws for their anniversaries last year. It's like whatever. I shouldn't be complaining. At least, at, at least, my little Cinemark did play Fablemans. Um, but for like a day or, or two days, maybe it was for like three days. Cause well, it, no, don't, don't get it. <laughs> don't get it twisted that it was so devastatingly unpopular that they like dumped it after a day or two. No, what happened was it of course wasn't even like, it didn't get a run here because mm-hmm. they said they have a thing against Spielberg movies here. Apparently <laughs> I, the only one that they actually played here, I think in recent years was West Side Story. And of course no one saw that. So you know how that story ended, but um, they played Fablemans here for I think a weekend when um, it was the week of the Academy Award nominations. You know that thing that how some theaters do this when you know if a film is nominated for Best Picture, then they'll they'll screen it. So I think at Cinemark here they were playing um, Fablemans as well as Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, and I don't and maybe I think also Top Gun Maverick I think those were the, those were the, the three that they picked but they didn't play any of the other ones I don't think so you know it, it's kind of a luck of the draw as to how that happens but the, the, the point overall of the story is that we were supposed to go but Peter can't anymore because well hey, life happens I understand yeah. I'm not I'm not blaming him but it's just it's 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 unfortunate that that's what ended up being um they were gonna end up missing that particular one but I'm sure there'll be more chances I mean and it's not the last time this will play in theaters. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, it was the 30th anniversary. So there was that. Um, so yeah, if if you happen to, you know, be around the movies or if you want to go to the movies, this happens to be the weekend to do it. I mean, $3 is amazing. Especially if you live in an area, in a metropolitan area like most people do, where movie tickets are like, Fifteen plus dollars, which is insane, mm-hmm. insane to me. Yeah. Like we here, we still have like, on a good day, we still have like nine dollar tickets. Oh yeah, that's cool. I actually haven't checked what my theater was showing on Saturday. <laughs> Asteroid City, that's good. It's th- that's pretty random considering that Asteroid City came out on Blu-ray this week. Yeah, <laughs> they're showing Castle in the Sky. I think I knew that one. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Interesting. They're still showing Jurassic Park, but I'm gonna be busy though. I'm going to a comedy show. Uh, I'm gonna watch um Gabriel Iglesias. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Okay. That should be fun. Yeah, I'm excited. He's literally my favorite comedian. So <laughs> really, interesting. Yeah. Okay. It's hard to say who my favorite comedian would be. Um, 
Sasha Baron Cohen is not necessarily a, like a like your traditional comedian. Yeah. Like he doesn't do stand up, but the comedy that he does is very real. Mm-hmm. It hits close to home. <laughs> like if you've seen his stuff, uh, I mean Borat, <laughs> and if you saw the the second Borat movie, which was which came out in twenty twenty, still one of the fun. Did you ever see it? I haven't. You've never. Oh my no. god, man. The, the second one is amazing. Like, if you, you got Amazon Prime video? Yeah. It's on there. That's okay. it, it was an exclusive on there, so um, that's where it should be. But no, it was so good. <laughs> there, there are interactions where you're just like, wow. And it's him just basically unmasking um, America for what it's become. You know, the uncomfortable stuff that we don't want to discuss he also did this um, with a recent Showtime show called I think I think Who is America or yeah I think it, it, I think it was called Who is America, and there have been so many clips that have been pulled from that. Um, and again, part of his like talent is he he gets dressed up in some kind of like disguise, and he always manages to like fool people. And in that show, he went into some like conservative area and kind of like tricked them into thinking this big new company was going to like open this like this tourist site but then it grossed them out when they realized it would be a mosque and what happened thereafter was so messed up like a lot of the comments were like vicious Mm -hmm. And that comments from the community about the idea of Muslims coming into the community was like some of the most flat out and open racism I think you'll ever see. Um, and there's just no other way to put it. And then on the, on the comedic side of things, um, in Borat's subsequent movie film, um, <laughs> he was able to get his co-star, I want to say uh, Maria Bakalova, to trick former uh, attorney to Donald Trump and then also former mayor of New York City, Rudy Giuliani, to basically unzip his pants um, into what he thought was going to be a blowjob. And it was literally on camera and it was in the movie. The same Rudy Giuliani, who, by the way, just got indicted this week uh, criminally uh, through a Georgia uh, investigation for election interference and voter fraud. Or an an attempt to commit voter fraud, I think. I'm not sure what the right wording is of that. So all fun stuff (laughs) Uh, with Borat and Tasha Baron Cohen. Um, I used to really enjoy... uh, the insult uh, comic, I'm not even sure she'd be considered insult comic, but that was mostly her comedy. Uh, Joan Rivers was so funny. Yeah. Um, seriously. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, I guess you'll be off doing that and having all the fun in the world. Um, but, you know, pivoting back a little bit to the reaction that we did to Ahsoka, mm. well, huh. It, it it really went it's it's kind of hard to describe right like what it was that we were th- expecting uh was going to happen 
like when Alexis first texted me about the idea of doing this, I was like, do I want to do this? I don't know. Because it's been no secret that we've kind of like were not at all looking forward to it. And we kind of had a pretty good suspicion about how we knew we were going to feel. So again, there really wasn't excitement, but it didn't mean that there wasn't any hope because if you watch back that video, yeah, there was some like, I guess, last minute hope that what we were about to witness was going to be something decent because I mean, it's a no brainer. It involved characters that we liked and we wanted to see the story continue and we wanted to like it and everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I can say I haven't looked at too many reactions on, on the internet. I've just like skimmed over them. But uh, I feel very comfortable in saying that our reaction, especially in the way that we reacted in real time to how things were like panning out, um, feels very much unique um, in comparison to everybody else because I'm not going to say because it's not true to say that this show Ahsoka has been getting the exact same like um, overwhelming praise from people uh, as the Mandalorian because the Mandalorian craze was like insane like insane to a point where it literally broke us. It yeah. broke me. I, I, it was like one of those few things that like everyone is like going crazy over, losing their shit over. And I'm like, what the fuck are you people watching? Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's not to that degree because even people who come out positive have a fair amount of issues and gripes with what they saw. But, you know, by and large, I saw that the reactions to this were, for the most part, pretty positive. Like, I saw a lot of enthusiasm. I saw a lot of excitement, not just on the Twitter X's, but also on YouTube and the reactor videos. And um, I can't say I'm too surprised. Mm -hmm. I would say... Maybe I'm a little bit surprised in that some people definitely were pointing out uh, issues with it. But still, on the whole, uh, they put a, you know, a really positive spin on it. And I'm not here to question anybody's like motives or intentions or authenticity, of course, because, you know, I, I don't want to be doing that. But, you know, it also is important to point out that for a lot of people that depend on (laughs) popular shows to drive their own revenue. Um, They kind of needed this because it's been kind of a drought as far as like this particular type of show. I mean, because Secret Invasion was a complete dud. I mean, I'm not even talking about quality wise. I'm just talking about from like any kind of like interest on any level whatsoever. It, it, it drove no interest. No one was really watching it. Mm -hmm. So, for a lot of these channels, shall we say, they really need this to do well for their own personal stakes. So, you know, and people should, you know, be well aware of that. It's the same way of saying that, well, 
you know, of course, the Democrats right now, uh, in particular, Joe Biden, are trying to find ways to, you know, harden or uh, lessen the hardship of student loan repayment because um, they know that they need them to win and everything. Right. So it's like, you know, it's by and large also saying that politicians for the most part. Um, depend on, shall we say, certain fi- fi- financiers uh, to live, in a sense. Uh, so, yeah, I-, I know that's gonna make it seem like I'm like, you know, doubting these people's reactions. Mm-hmm. I don't doubt their reactions. I think they're perfectly genuine. Like, I feel like they they enjoyed it very much. No, yeah, it- it's easy. I mean, it's totally fine if you enjoy it. Of There's some things I. I enjoy, but I can tell they're pretty bad. <laughs> um, I have some that. small things that I enjoyed as well. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, David, but I have to point this out. Like, And I feel it, it should be fairly obvious. Like, if, if, you have, if you're watching or listening and you happen to enjoy this show, congratulations. I'm happy for you. Enjoy it. Don't let whatever I say or anybody tells you to not enjoy because I've been in that place before where like I click on a negative review and it kind of like you know, dampens down the mood. I get it. I feel it. If you don't want to hear it, I get you. You can, you, you more than welcome to click away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's how it is. But like, that's the thing that's so disappointing about the Ahsoka show is like, I, I remember one re- uh, show I reviewed was the, um, Willow. Like I said, it's not, re- it's not a good show. Like there's some major problems with it, but I had a lot of fun with it, with the characters, with the story even, and some of the action, like it looked really cool. Some of the visuals looked really cool, especially like in the second to the last episode. I can't remember how many episodes were there, but you know, there was just like, there was a lot of cool stuff with it. I just don't see that with Ahsoka. <laughs> like the fights aren't that great. They're kind of boring. The only moment in the show that I was like, oh, that was interesting was when Ahsoka went down that hole and, like, opened up another one to, like, drop down the droids. Like, that was cool. That was pretty creative. And then nothing else. I am. I didn't care about the other fights. Um, and I mentioned this in the, in the reactions. Like, what's the story here? You know? At least with Willow, I can I know, like, oh, okay, yeah. This person um wants to go on this adventure to save her brother cool this person finds out that she's the most powerful sorceress in the world so she has to figure that out like how to control her power great you know i know the motivations of each and every character you can break down how the character arcs are sloppy or something i don't know i don't care ahsoka i don't i just don't understand their motives like okay fine ahsoka wants to find Thrawn and stop it. Cool. But he's far away from you. He's not really... We don't know if he is a problem. We don't know, like, what's on his side. Like, (laughs) is he actually a threat? Or is he just still in space surrounded by a bunch of those octopuses, whatever the fuck they were called? Um, The Pergil, and there were whales. Space whales. (laughs) I can make it like I think a better thing to do in the Ahsoka show was kind of go like I'm, I'm sure Thrawn's not that much of a problem and then we see the other side it's like no there's a problem like we gotta figure this out like how okay how are we gonna move this along so that she knows about this you know like give us tension but I don't uh, there's none of that 
And so, yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, yeah, like I said, some people find some parts of it entertaining. I think they're just mostly excited to see Ahsoka and the Rebel team um, together, whether it is live action or animated and all that. Um, I just... I just kind of wish people were just more honest about their reviews. Like, again, it's totally fine if you say you like it. It's totally fine, okay, to point out the flaws, <laughs> you know? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that, that. I feel like sometimes we get into, for those of us who happen to really enjoy something or someone's work, we can kind of get into a little bit of an echo chamber where... You know, uh, they can do no wrong and I I see no evil, I hear no evil. And so when it's being criticized, even in the most benign of ways, it can come across as a personal attack. And so I understand that, but I feel like it's much healthier to just engage in an open and honest conversation about, okay – Let's talk about it here. Um, I I thought that this was perfectly fine, but here you are saying that it wasn't. I want to hear what you have to say. What did Mm -hmm. you see in this that I didn't? That's a far more healthier approach to doing things. Um, I feel like, for me anyway, it was a pretty depressing experience. Uh I, it was, and this is also one of the reasons why I wasn't looking forward to this coming out because considering all that had come before this show from Lucasfilm on Disney Plus, I felt pretty certain in that I was going to be pretty bummed um, throughout the entire thing. And... It's pretty extraordinary, I would think, that because I was watching back the introduction to that reaction just now before we went on this recording. And I kind of called it (laughs) at the top of the video. Like, hey, guys, and I was just I was doing that for the sake of transparency to let people who are going to watch this reaction know where we're coming from and the things that we're already suspecting we're going to have an issue with. And basically, maybe not 100%, but a lot of the things that I was saying about what we felt we were going to have issues with ended up just coming to fruition in real time. When we clicked play and we were watching it, you know, it started off pretty okay. Um, but then, and we'll 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 get more into the details. Don't worry. I'm just like speaking broadly about like my reaction to it. The more it kept going, the the less interesting it got because it kept like what was constantly in my mind in that reaction video was everybody kept saying that if. You don't know, at the very least, Star Wars Rebels, you are going to be so lost. Mm -hmm. And what I kept thinking was, well, I don't know how those people are feeling right now because we've been keeping up with this for years and we feel so lost. 
just so many questions are raised, but not the right kind of questions. Not This isn't a mystery story. Like the kind of questions that are um, caused by lapses in logic and lapses in continuity. And also just by happenstance. And it ultimately made us sometimes in unison a little enraged and we would even call it out in real time when things are happening. Like every single time they would make, um, there was a scene that cut to, you know, or, or, or mentions or allusions to a previous relationship that happened between Sabine and Ahsoka. We were like rolling our eyes, calling it out. Like, no, this is not. And by the time we got to the, uh, the end of the first episode, we were like, hold my beer. Okay. Just rip into this mm-hmm. because there are so many problems already. But then by the time we got to the end of the second reaction, I was like, I, 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 I okay, bye, bye guys, I'm done. Like, I, I was so zapped of energy. And I gotta be honest, like, that second episode, there were moments where I was like struggling to stay awake. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it failed. <laughs> on just about every level imaginable to get my attention. And it makes it even more sad that it involves characters that I have loved for quite a long time now. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like I'm watching the thing that I love be killed in real time. I know that seems a bit dramatic, but it's like it, it, it never stopped doing that. Like, I feel like every single time they were trying to give insights into character motivations or background, it did not at all work with what was previously known and established of these characters. And they, as you mentioned in the reaction, this isn't the first time this happens. Mm-hmm. This continues to happen in all the Star Wars shows. Like they're the and again, this is coming from these makers, by the way, these filmmakers and these story uh, and these writers. They're the ones who supposedly keep track of the canon and are the so-called experts in this mm-hmm. and are hailed by such by fans. And yet, when it and and again. We're not canon sticklers as far as like moments or events. Where where I do care about canon is where it comes to the characterization. When it comes to who characters are and what they stand for. And so many times now in the Mandoverse live action space, we have just been shown faces that we've seen before. But they're like completely different people. But we, even which may be okay if at the very least they addressed that. But they don't. They pretend like they're exactly who they always were, and not like they've changed them completely. Like look how much they changed the. No, no one talks about it as much anymore because you know the Boba Fett show was so embarrassing. But let's think before that. But we can also even use that as an example. But let's look back to how he was presented in Mando season two. That Boba Fett is completely unrecognizable to the one that came before the fact. Mm -hmm. They're not the same person. 
And so where did all this development come from? They never show any. That's like what Peter was saying in the other podcast. They never show any development. They always skip ahead or they pretend like they were always like this in the first place. Boba Fett, what, the bounty hunter that worked for the Empire was always a man of honor? That Can you picture the bounty hunter that tracked down Han Solo being the marshal of a town in Tatooine? And protecting and being a man of the people. Mm-hmm. I and that and that show like did try to show you that he changed, but like it just it made it, 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 well. It, it tried. It didn't succeed. It didn't succeed it, because it just didn't make any sense for me at all. I just didn't really care either. Like I yeah. just I don't you know like oh okay he gained the respect of the what is it Bant no not the Banthas um what was that what they're called Banthas or. The Banthas? Those are animals. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, the, what, what do you mean? The huts? The, hut. the, the gangsters? The people that the like, took him oh, in. Oh, oh, the people. Okay, okay. The, the gang families. I don't even remember at this mm, point. I don't know. Those ones with the, like, the big eyeglasses and all that. The tech loop. The, um. Oh, those kids, I guess? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Whatever. Um... The people that took uh, Boba Fett in, that's basically how you de-changed him and all that, blah, blah, blah. I just, like... You mean the, the Tusken Raiders? Tusken Raiders. Oh, my God. That I was... was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, 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 I totally spaced out, but, like, the people that took him... Oh, yeah. The Tusken Raiders. Yeah. Formerly the... known as the Sand People until that was, you know... Re- a bit racist, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was. I mean, but then again, Star Wars is no stranger to, to racist stereotypes. Yeah, so yeah. Look no further than Viceroy Gunray. <laughs> yeah, the Tusken Raiders took him in and somehow he gained a heart or something. I don't know. And <laughs> I just, I, I don't know. I just, none of it stuck with me. I don't know. And I'm, it, I'm easy to like manipulate, I guess, in a sense, <laughs> and so in terms of television and movies, like it's pretty easy for me to connect. I'll say this: um, when we talk about Blue Beetle, like that one did kind of affect me, like the way the family, like were, oh, yeah. were and all that, like that affected me. So I don't know why this one didn't, and just, I mean, I don't know, just <laughs> it, none of it worked. And look, that's just Boba Fett, who up until this point was a fairly minor character in this universe, right? Um, I'll give you another example. Bo-Katan. Okay, at the very least, you can say, she, maybe of all the characters that have been brought into the Mandoverse, she's the one that's been the most consistent. Mm-hmm. But that presents a different problem. How, <laughs> since, like, okay, between the end of the Clone Wars... And there's like 15 years already between the Clone Wars and A New Hope. And um, give or take, what? Um, Seven years. Let's just say seven years. So like 15 plus seven, what do you get? You get like 22, right? So there's like in 22 years time from the Clone Wars to where we first see her in Mandalorian. She's exactly the same. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's still playing the same fight. And, you know, it, it probably is too much uh, of us to ask for the writers 
and the producers to think of a far more complex and interesting storyline. But it would have been really interesting to explore a Bo-Katan that just moved on from like accepted her failure and moved on, especially after the fact that the planet was completely devastated. Mm-hmm. Like, I I know that it means a lot to them, but I couldn't, and, and I know you and I. I think we're the only ones in our group to even watch Mando season three, but I couldn't have been the only one to have been thinking constantly like you guys are fighting over what there's nothing left here. There's nothing left. And we also, we don't know anything about their culture. Like not really, not really at all. And it's which, and the little we do know about their culture has been completely like uh, twisted from what it was presented like. I know that the, on that show, they want to make them seem as very honorable people. But like Dave Filoni, the very first time we see the Mandalorians through George Lucas on Clone Wars, presented them as right wing extremists. The Death Watch, I mean. Mm-hmm. House Vizsla was very much in Death Watch and they were terrorists. They were killing their own people, basically. And they manipulated, um, they overthrew the democratically elected leader, uh, Satine, by the help of gangsters and a Sith Lord, just so they can put themselves back into power and they can return their culture from pacifists into violent-oriented. And politically, anyway... That was very relevant and spoke to a lot of extremist groups out there that have the same kind of wet dream of, you know, insurrection, of civil war, overthrowing uh, the government because they're too, from their perspective, weak and they need a a stronger, more nationalistic approach. Um, That's how it was presented in the Clone Wars. And then you go to the Mandalorian, and it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. They don't bring that up, ever. Ever. In her character. Ever. how interesting would that have been? Like, she actually, like, talked... Like, you could have made Mando the version of, like, the good version of Mandalorians. You know? Like, he actually is honorable. He helps people in need whenever, like, he is around and all that. And then he meets um, Bo-Katan... And, you know, because of, like, what happened with her sister, because of what happened to with her world, you know, she kind of, like, just stays out of everything, you know? She's off doing her own thing, doesn't care about anyone else, and they actually, like, grow together. And then how interesting would it have been if Grogu was actually, like, a, you know, a person that can talk and I can, like, show feelings and everything? Like, just, I don't know, either just make it, like, an older Yoda, whatever his species is. Or actually just make it like a kid. <laughs> or, you know, like just put in a kid. And then they like they become a family together. You know? That's what I was thinking like the whole time in that finale. When Grogu like saves him from the fucking fire thing. Yeah, I, I mean, was like, I mean, oh, like if if Grogu was actually like a grown up or like a little kid. You know, and then he, sa- and he saves them. Bo-Katan and Amanda would have looked at each other like, oh my gosh, like look at this kid, you know? Mm-hmm. and But we don't get that. It's just. Always had opportunities. <laughs> I mean, again, um, it would have been really nice for Bo Katan to really grapple with her several failures. You know, her mm-hmm. association with Death Watch, her initial victory uh, with her alignment with the Republic, 
to retake Mandalore, but then again, the Republic became the Empire and then drove her out of Mandalore. Then again, before the outbreak of the Rebellion uh, in the Rebels timeline, you know, through the help of Sabine Wren, she reclaimed the Darksaber, she got all the houses back, and there was a, a war that happened off screen, which then resulted in the complete devastation of the planet. Again, speaking of like, stories that would have been really interesting to see instead of just being told about there is another example of something we really should have seen mm -hmm. uh instead of just skipping over completely to tell a far less interesting story in a far less exciting way in almost every respect um but again it's not it was, it's not just her but i feel like all the other mandalorians themselves should do some soul searching about the part that they played in their own downfall and it's really sad how and, and this is really telling how far removed the mandos have become i mean are from what they were is you know we talk about like they never bring up any of that whole like shit that went down in clone wars more to the point no one ever brings up duchess satine mm -hmm. it's like she never you would not even think she would exist yeah she's never brought up as if she had she was a leader of no consequence. She changed Mandalorian culture. She was like the leader of the neutral systems during the Clone War. Like she was a big player. And yet. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. So again, right now we're, we're, we're examining how all these characters were and what they have been presented as in the Mandalorian. So that's, that's Bo-Katan in fairness. She's the same, but that's also crap because what person is the same for like that long and doesn't give up at some point? Like they did not do anything interesting with her in that regard. And also she looks exactly the same, but that's the age thing. I'm not even going to get there. Mm. Okay. So that's book of 10. What else do we have? The next, uh, the next two, would be pretty horrific in either way, uh, any way you slice it. Well, Luke and Ahsoka. Oof. I guess we'll go with, let's go with Luke. He's just there. That's well, yeah, yes, <laughs> he's just there, but what, what little is there can be inferred of because, uh, now, maybe you took it a different way, but if you remember also the stuff, because he gets more to do in Boba Fett. Mm -hmm. Not that much more to do, but he gets more to do. But there were a lot of choices made with Luke that feel, again, like a completely different character. What do I mean by that? Okay, well, he activates a traumatic memory of baby Grogu's. <laughs> Forget about that. Oh, yeah. There's, there's, there's that one. Um, he, I think the most egregious one, well, I mean, the, the, he was introduced basically by like chopping up action figures and, and I mean, on, you know, on its face, it's, it's, that isn't the issue. The issue is like it, it felt like, and 
it felt like a validating moment for the wrong people because we come in from the perspective that the Luke that we saw in episode eight is a very natural change when you live a whole life. And the story and the character arc that he went through in that film was very much Luke Skywalker. But then again, if you ask a lot of Star Wars fans, they'll be like, no, Jake Skywalker this, Ruin Johnson that. It's the worst thing ever. It's it, it completely destroyed everything. And it's just like, well, that's why we can't have nice things. And it felt like those people were validated in that moment when he was like, you know, blasting up all these like droids and everything. And, and again, that's not even the big issue for me. The big issue was where he basically, again, his apprentice, the baby, who the baby was like, so yeah, I see you're missing your dad. Anyway, um, I can't have that. So either <laughs> like forget about him and stay with me or get the fuck out. <laughs> and I'm using like, I'm paraphrasing here, but that's how I took it. Yeah. And that's basically what he meant. Like, I'm mm-hmm. not here. Like, you could use all the flowery language you want, but that's basically what he meant. And how do you make Luke Skywalker come across like such a fucking dick? And with us, and, and, and then also, but did anybody else? point that that was out of character for him and what does that mean though the implication of that sequence mean is that he is completely repeating the mistakes of the failed jedi order that came before the fact when look maybe on one level they were trying to show how his order was also going to fail because he was trying to be too much of a traditionalist like the last one was to be fair to them, maybe that's what they were doing. I don't think that's what it was at all. I think it was just like a f- complete fluke that it ended up being that way. But it also doesn't work because in the context of who Luke was then, okay, the reason why it works in The Last Jedi was because Luke was different when he was in his fucking 60s. This is Luke in the original trilogy space, and this is the person that used you know compassion and love to win by... Winning his father over to the good side, not by killing him. And this is him breaking away from what the rest of the Jedi before him failed to do. And so what does he do after that? The takeaway from that is, yeah, I'll just do it the way that it was done before. Because there was nothing wrong with that order, right? I mean, it wasn't as if there was like a, a six to seven season TV show and like three films in this entire universe that were basically saying it out loud that the Jedi Order kind of needed to fall apart too. It was a tragedy, yes, for a lot of people, but the Jedi themselves played a part in their own downfall. They were a corrupt institution that constantly neglected the needs of the masses in favor of their own political um, credit in the Senate and in, in, in Coruscant. So Luke was like, oh yeah, I'm going to just go ahead and particularly continue the no attachments rule. The no attachments rule that, by the way, he didn't even follow to save the galaxy in the first place. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I cut you off, but I, just, I wanted to get that Luke thing out of the way with you. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Actually, oh, I was going to. What thing I was I was going to bring up is that it makes no sense that he wants to take on an apprentice already, because this Mando takes place like pretty much right after um, Episode Six. Five, five years. Five. Five years. years. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. But that's still way, after. Yeah, it's still right after. And there is a book that I have. I can't remember what it's called. It was like Tales of Luke Skywalker or something like that. I can't remember. But it literally says, like, you know, this could be a good book to read before watching Last Jedi and all that. But all it is is just, like, 
people telling stories of Luke Skywalker. Like, I heard about this thing that he did, and blah, blah, blah. And one of the main things, one of the big ones is that he is trying to figure out um, the Force still. Like, he wants to learn more about how other people have, like, learned to use the Force and all that. And so it just makes no sense. And for, like, at least for me, like, it just makes no sense that he wants to take on an apprentice. Mm-hmm. And also, like, is using the old ways of learning to become a Jedi to teach Grogu. And again, in that book, he, like, he wants to learn different ways of, or, like, how people interpret the Force differently and all that. And so, yeah, I just, it, it just, that makes no sense for me. It also just doesn't make sense that he was training a little child <laughs> or a little baby. That's what I said. That's what I should say. Right. Well, I mean, that, and again, that's, that's Luke, that, how they present him. Mm-hmm. That's what that's we, not even, that's what people believe Luke is. Yeah. The biggest and, fans um, believe that's how Luke is. That's pretty sad because that's not at all who he is. Then we get to the Ahsoka matter, which very much is in a very similar vein in that because um, she's seen there with Luke. You know, you know, she and I guess to me, the biggest annoyance is that um, she continues to say she's no Jedi. She's no Jedi. She's no Jedi. But she walks like a Jedi. She, but, but you know what it is, though? This is this is the part that really irritates me. She says that she's no Jedi. But if you see particularly how she carries herself and how she acts like in these live action shows, she sounds and looks exactly as condescending as the Jedi that we would see in the prequels. Mm. Like, remember in the Clone War, I don't know, you may not have seen this, but in the Clone Wars, um, she uh, ended up being incarcerated with uh, two of her friends um rafa and trace i think i forget her other name but like because they were running spice one of the girls was stupid enough to like dump the spice they go to obadiah they see the pikes and then they get arrested because they don't have their spice shipment this is the arc that happens before the final arc in the clone wars and they spent prison time together and while they're in jail the two sisters that live on coruscant tell her this story that they hate the jedi because um while they were chasing Zero the Hut, they kind of crashed through their corridors and ended up killing their parents. And all Luminara, that was the Jedi that was chasing Zero, could tell them was like, um, yeah, what happened sucks, but, you know, it's okay because your parents are with the Force now. Bye. <laughs> Taking no personal responsibility whatsoever for what happened. And that kind of cold and condescension is exactly what I feel Ahsoka has turned into in these live action shows where she just can't be bothered. Like the Ahsoka that I know in the animated shows was very much authentic and very much like connected to the here and now and what the concerns of the people were telling her. And she was listening to that and she was all about that. And, and, and you know, and it, it empowered her because of how she herself was let was abandoned by that order. And so here we are like all these years later and it's like she's basically turned into the very thing that dumped her ass in the first place and the very thing that she was raging against. And I don't see why more people 
aren't bringing that up mm-hmm. because like again she was there with Luke I don't even know why cuz I don't know, why would they be affiliated I, I mean, you could say maybe they were hanging out or something but still that, that that's that's even the go ahead David. I was I brought this up in the reaction video but like why is that the first time that we're seeing them together like why couldn't we see the actual first time that they met and like she learns about like you're a Skywalker and I never knew about this. Fucking Obi Wan, you know, like she 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 tries to look for his ghost uh, form and all that. It's like motherfucker, why didn't you tell me about this? <laughs> it was a moment that we always had imagined in our heads about what it would be like for these two people to meet, and yet that's the way they chose to introduce it as like, oh yeah, we already again. It's the same thing. They just skip past events that are crucial for us to witness. Mm-hmm. Instead, they're like, oh, yeah, that happened. Anyway, here we are in a very casual, like, so much like your father. Which, that's a line that made no sense whatsoever in that particular episode. But it, it, like, even in her introduction, it's like, well, she refused to train the baby because the baby had attachments. But wait a minute. This all happens to fit with the character she used to be where she would not care about attachments because she's it doesn't even make any sense to me because she clearly on some level still blames herself or used to blame herself for Anakin becoming Vader because she walked away but wait a minute here she's saying that her lack of attachment to Anakin is part of why he turned to the dark side and and she thinks that if she had been there for him which that is very much an attachment that would have helped save him. Which is it? Mm-hmm. Which is it? It's not the same thing. It's not working on any level. And then, why are you training people if, you, if you're saying you're not a Jedi? First of all, you refuse to train a baby, and then you also train a Sabine Wren. And what? You're trying to say that Sabine Wren has no attachments? Has no connections? Mm-hmm. She's, she's a Mandalorian. They don't become Jedi for a reason. So there's just a sea of inconsistencies. And the problem is, again, it would be one thing if the producers and the writers were, for one, telling an interesting story, but two, using that story to kind of explain the, the why... These people are the way they are now. Mm-hmm. There's not any of that at all. They're just this way now. And it feels like they they try to, to make it seem like that's how they always were. But that wasn't at all the case. And talk about like like people that don't feel the same. How in the world is Sabine Wren somebody that exists in the Star Wars universe? And how is she not participating in the reclamation of Mandalore against the remnants of the Empire. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that either. I mean, you couldn't say that, like, maybe she wants to stay in that one planet because of Ezra, but at some point she would have, she would have had to move on. You know, I think by that point, by the in the by the time we get to the Ahsoka show, you know, it's basically been it's twelve years, by the way, twelve years. Yeah, it, it, it's it been is, rebuilt. Yeah. You know, she should have been gone by now. Yeah, <laughs> there was no need for her to stay there. Yeah, 
And um, notice how we haven't even gotten that much into the show yet. No, it's yeah. just all the preamble of all the problems that it's because of all these problems that because of what this was going to be, it was never going to be good to begin with. Like it was, it was already so unbelievably fucked mm-hmm. because of all of these like characterization issues for a start. Then we get into the actual episode and it's just like, oh man, like again, it doesn't start off bad, but it is so slow. Oh my God. Yes. Nothing, nothing really happens. It's, it's way too slow. You need to get them moving, and like with eight episodes, you need to fucking move. Like I can't remember the last time. I know there are a lot of people out there who have such you know destroyed attention spans that they'll call anything slow. And oftentimes, I'm on the other end of it, saying like, "You guys are like crazy. That wasn't slow at all. This was like really good. Mm. Or maybe it was slow, but it was still good. There's a difference, obviously, between the two. Yeah." They, but the point is, this happened to be slow and boring because nothing was really happening. Like, like there, were, like there was a lot of scenes where okay, Ahsoka's figuring a puzzle, or Sabine's figuring a puzzle, or they're activating activating a map, or they're just like looking at each other and not saying much. Yeah. Or they're not saying anything at all, and we're just like. Hello. Yeah. Like we're here again. What What are you doing? The The beginning part of it. I mean, I think we can just get into spoilers <laughs> into Ahsoka. Yes, yes, of course. The beginning of uh, the first scene with Ahsoka. You know, she's trying to figure out. Okay, there's a puzzle here. I'm trying to figure that out. What you do is you put someone there that doesn't know the situation, and then you have Ahsoka explain. Like we can't just look at it, especially because it's only just one room with carvings on it like there's not much for us to see and to really understand what's in here and so you need someone to explain what is that you know and again i've said this i said this in the reaction like it might seem forced but like that's just what you do <laughs> like you just do that so that you can keep us entertained you know keep us in that moment you know the only time you actually like make a scene with that dialogue that is around is when you have something like really beautiful to show off okay but there's not really that in this, especially with not so not so great CGI going on. <laughs> um, and so you just you don't really have that. And, and so and so this is what we're talking about in pacing. It's just like okay, you want you okay, you want to slow, you want to um, you know you want to stay with these characters for a bit longer. Oh my gosh, I just okay Spider Verse. <laughs> that one is, I would say, slow at moments. But like, like I said, though, you have something beautiful to watch, you know, that part with him and his dad talking uh, and then the tarps on top of like some construction. <laughs> the difference is, is what we're watching is good. Is what we're watching is good. And interesting in its own way. <laughs> interesting in the way that it's captivating our attention by just the beautiful art that's being on screen. But it's also important for the characters moments. It, it, it's giving the characters themselves a moment to breathe. But they're also conversating. Mm-hmm. The story and, and the characterization is being put forward. It's moving somewhere. Whereas in this show, it's just like, okay, we get it. You're, you're figuring it out. But I got that a minute and a half ago, and we're still here. Can we move on to the next thing? That's what it constantly felt like watching this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
that you just basically said it right there. <laughs> and so, yeah, they just, it needs to move along. <laughs> and it refuses at every turn. It refuses. And then <laughs> it refuses to do that. And then I didn't get a chance to really examine uh, the VFX as, as much. I mean, I saw it on my laptop. So I feel like if I see it on my TV, I'd be able to maybe notice a little bit more of the volume. Or a little, a little bit of like, um, I mean, it wasn't terrible. Mm-hmm. For the, I mean, I, I didn't notice too many patches, I guess, here or there about that. To me, I mean, the characterization stuff, we can put that to the side for a minute. Just trying to examine all the other pieces of this. I think the dialogue is quite atrocious. What little dialogue there is in some cases, of course, because a lot of these characters just refuse to talk to each other at some point. I get that, but sure. But for the most part, the dialogue is just like, especially the dialogue written for these characters. Were, uh, it's not just it's pretty weak. And also just the delivery. Remember that? Yeah. Oh, that's, man. That, that's a different thing altogether. No, but even with that part in uh, where Sabine wakes up after she got stabbed and all that, and then... Ahsoka's like, okay, we gotta do this, blah blah blah. Okay, I'm gonna go and do that thing, and she and Simi's like, no, I'll go too. And she said, and then Ahsoka says, no, you've done enough. And Ali reacted like, ooh, like oh, like that's a diss. But you were like, wait, is that a diss? Huh? Or was just like, <laughs> does she is she actually being compassionate in this moment, be like, no, 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 like you've done enough. You're you're good. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> that's right. I forgot that. To be honest with you, when we were doing the, there, sometimes on my side, it was cutting in and out. So I didn't hear, I heard like 99% of what you were saying, but every now and then there were some things that I, I didn't quite hear what you were saying. Cause it would like the Skype, uh, call wasn't working because there was all, my, my computer was also, you know, recording audio and then also having Disney plus open, mm-hmm. which is a lot on this computer from 2015. So it's. That happened, but but I mean, yeah, that that's that's a really interesting thing for you to have experienced. Us having very different reactions yeah. to that one moment, and that pretty much is proof that the flaw is in the delivery itself. That she, but, but again, I I was like, I could see why Alexis would feel that way, and part of me felt that way too. But I'm like, that couldn't have been what they were intending, right? Because the way that she delivered that line was like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't mean to give her the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I, at this point, I'm pretty biased against her performance at this at this character. But I'm just trying to like be like, they didn't seriously do the whole. No, you've done enough. Like, mm-hmm. really, Ahsoka? <laughs> Is this? And I think John Campia. I, I shared some clips from people who were reacting on it, which I thought were pretty interesting to see. I think John Campia is correct on this point. I think she did come across like an asshole a lot of the time. Like she, I'm sorry, but talking about delivery, this performance. And again, I can't blame the performance entirely because the writing is giving her really nothing to work with. Mm -hmm. True. But it's like, I, I don't know, like, what it is that she's thinking that she's doing with this character. And again, it was even funny, like, oh yeah, how many times, like when he was saying John Campy about, you know, play a drinking games every a drinking game every time like she does this and crosses her arms. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> or she gives a facial expression and it's like 
it's not clicking for me. It's not working at all. Like I, I feel like when you put this performance in combination with the really drastic change in characterization, it just feels like a completely different character. Like, again, what you mentioned at the very top of the show is very correct about like, why does she give a fuck about Thrawn in the first place? Thrawn and Ahsoka literally have never even met. Mm-hmm. I'm not even kidding. They didn't meet a single time in the show Rebels. Why does she care? And why does she seemingly, and again, like, and this is a question that I'm sorry, is it it has to linger because they've been so insistent on that this character has been like alive a long time, or not a long time, but she's been alive through a lot of significant events. But because it, it in the 12 years that she disappeared, or to us, well, you know what? Never mind. That That's not even true. It used to be before this show, we were under the impression that she disappeared for 12 years. But that's not even true. In the 12 years' time, she apparently was with the Rebels and training Sabine as a pseudo-Jedi, which that's a different thing that we'll get to in a minute. But, like, wait a minute. If that's true, are you telling me that Ahsoka was around and operating on behalf of the Rebel Alliance in the same instance that Luke, Han, and Leia were? Luke and Leia, who are the offspring of her former master, who, by the way, is also still around? Are you trying to tell me that Luke and Ahsoka met each other not after the war, but during the war? And she didn't bring up at all that she knew his father, and she played no part at all in the Battle of Endor, or that she never at all made an attempt to encounter. Like, you're breaking this original story by doing this because I I don't know what you, what you're trying to say, right? Like, if she's around these last two twelve years and she's training somebody else, why does she not care enough to get involved? in the main fight between the rebels and the empire, especially when Vader's involved, but she cares so much about this Admiral Thrawn that she's never even met. Mm -hmm. Also, maybe on some level, she feels some guilt about Ahsoka, I mean, about Ezra being gone, but at the same time, she didn't really know Ezra all that well. They didn't have all that much connection to each other. She was barely even around them. Mm -hmm. But they act as if they've been close friends, but because they were, but because we didn't see it. And that's another issue that keeps plaguing these shows is it keeps, and I think this one's the worst offender of them all, where it's like it's trying for two episodes to get us to wrap around this dynamic that before the fact was previously non-existent. Even if you saw Rebels, this wasn't a thing that was in Rebels, Sabine and Ahsoka didn't even say probably two words to each other before this these two episodes even dropped. And here you are trying to make us believe that they're a, a master and an apprentice? Mm-hmm. And then she calls her a Padawan at the end of it? And it's just so confusing. I mean, that's just the Ahsoka level of it and the inconsistency of it because it doesn't even get into the Sabine of it all. Which is like, why would... Again... We already spoke as to, like, why was she not caring enough to be involved in the reclamation of Mandalore? 
why would she even want to be a Jedi in the first place? Why would she even want to be trained by Ahsoka in the first place? She wasn't being trained to be a Jedi by Kanan. She was trained to wield a lightsaber so she can use the darksaber to get Mandalore back in the first place. It wasn't that she wanted to be a Jedi. She wanted to get her home back to redeem herself for her people. That's what she was about. That's what she wanted to do. She didn't want to be a Jedi. Where did this Jedi thing come from? And that's not even addressing the whole force-wielding ability or lack thereof of it all for Sabine. For our knowledge, she's like the first real apprentice or Jedi apprentice in this mythology. And Hugh Ang says it himself, who, by the way, maybe is one of the, f- the few good things about this show. <laughs> Hugh, Hugh Ang is there and I like him and David Tennant gets some great lines at least. But he points it out himself when he says to her, yeah, of all the Jedi, you're clearly the weakest when it comes to the Force. Well, because she doesn't have the ability to wield the Force. Now, I'm going to be charitable and give them the benefit of the doubt in this case, okay? So some people have been like digging up clips from Trials of the Darksaber, which was the episode where Kanan was training Sabine. And Kanan has this line, and he isn't the only Jedi to have said this. A lot of Jedi say this, but we never really know what they mean by that. And he said that um, um, the Force resides in everyone if they're open to it. Now... That's a thought, I suppose, but I don't really know what that means, especially when George Lucas was always very, like, literal about, like, well, you have to be born Force-sensitive. You have to be born with what he calls a midichlorian count, you know, in your cells to be able to have the ability to wield the Force, right? That's the George uh, Lucas um, doctrine, I guess, if you will, of how he sees you know, Jedi and force-wielding people in the universe. But very much, if you go the Ryan Johnson mantra, it completely flies in the face of that, where he's not exactly saying in in The Last Jedi that anybody can be a Jedi in that sense because nobody can really, not everyone can wield the force, but what he is saying is everyone can aspire to the heroics of a Jedi – that everyone can be a rebel, you know, can be the leader and be on the side of good. And it can come from anywhere. And that's what he was, I think, pretty clearly trying to say in The Last Jedi. Um, but it's not his fault that George Lucas made it exclusive for certain individuals in his universe to wield the Force. Because he's the one that introduced the whole concept of midichlorian count in his prequel movies, um, kind of making it impossible for anybody else that doesn't have that born talent, I guess, to wield the force in the first place. Okay, so then, again, I'm still trying to give them the benefit of the doubt here because I was really confused uh, and I really couldn't let this go. Are th- And I'm trying to be charitable. What is it they're trying to do with this dynamic? Are they trying to... Because... It, it probably is giving it too much credit to think on any level that anybody involved on that team would be evoking Ryan Johnson on any level whatsoever. You know, maybe that's just giving too much credit. But 
are they trying to say that by Sabine being a Jedi Padawan, that anybody can be a Jedi now, even if they're not Force-sensitive? That this is the beginning of a new wave of Jedi, but not Force-sensitive. Which is not true because, well, we've seen the future in this universe. That doesn't necessarily happen that way. I mean, there's not much of a Jedi order in the future to begin with, but, you know, that's beside the point. Um, and if that's what they were trying to do thematically, that anybody can be a Jedi, technically that fits with what Ryan Johnson was trying to do. But that's if you think that's what they were inspired by and that's what they're actually doing here. The other way to read this is, well, they literally had no idea what to do with Sabine, so they just thought, hey, <laughs> let's just play with the fact that she's been lightsaber trained and let's just make her a de facto Jedi, even though she doesn't wield the Force. Or are they going, or, or are they teasing that she is going to be able to, at some point, wield the Force? I just threw a lot at you, David. Because I've been trying to think a lot about like what it is they're even trying to do here. Mm -hmm. Which, in, in fairness, that is the mark of a, of a brilliant show that brilliant in the sense that they're just brilliantly dropping the ball on everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. Because the show itself not only did not communicate this, but made no attempt yeah. to communicate what it was they're doing no. here. Yeah, you just said it. Like You, you said he, you threw a lot of stuff at me, and I literally can't tell you which one they're trying to go for. Like, wh what is it that you're trying to do here? Like, it's, you have two episodes, and you should have been very, very clear. Why does Sabine want to be a Jedi? Or why does Sabine want to be trained by Ahsoka? You know, like, that. I think to me that's the most important part. You know, like... Just have her be kind of obsessive of Ahsoka. Like, I want to be like you. You know, you're helping people. You're powerful. Like, I want to, I want to do that. Or maybe like she, maybe she does want to go back to Mandalore. You know, but like, wants to learn something new, and um, teach that to the new Mandalorians and all that. You know, because all she knows is the Mandalorian way, and all she knows is war. But then you have Ahsoka, who is like, you know. She's force sensitive. She's in tune with nature and all that, with all living beings. Like she can learn something from this, and you know you could have had like, and then you can have like a character arc moment of like, you know, she won't move stuff with her mind or anything like that. But maybe she'll somehow become a better fighter or something like that, or I don't know, or she'll learn. <laughs> I don't know what she can learn <laughs> from Ahsoka, really. But like you, you can, you, you, it, that should have been very clear from the very beginning. <laughs> and I just, I, like I said, you threw a lot of stuff at me, and I can't tell you which one's which. Like, and I'm just trying to imagine this in the perspective of somebody who went into this not even knowing who these characters are, mm -hmm. because we bring a lot of baggage into into this show. Like, we we have a lot of information as to like who these characters have been, and and you know what, that's part of the problem or part of our issues that are created because of that because they're so inconsistent and, and but even to the, the the let's say the average person that just puts this on i don't even know how they would last honestly watching this because it, it relies so much on you knowing who these people are in the first place so much so again as we were just saying 
they make no attempt whatsoever to establish who these people are mm-hmm. and what they even want. Yeah. I I really wouldn't have minded if these two episodes were just kind of like recaps of like who these characters are. Like literally just make this show for people who've literally never seen Clone Wars or Rebels. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and just make these episodes of like, hey, these are who these characters are. This is how badass this person is, blah, blah, blah. You're adding dialogue of like, yeah, I remember when I did this. And they'll, you know, they'll name drop someone from the shows or something or they'll tell a story about something that happened in those shows like i would have been so fine with that but we didn't get that (laughs) we literally just get plot barely we just what did we what did we learn in those episodes they find a map the we know where thrawn is we know where the people who took the map is going and then that's about it, at least in terms of the plot. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, everything else that's there is just there. Like the, I didn't, I was so like, You know, in my mind, like all the 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 brain waves were just like entangling themselves, trying to make heads or tails of what we were just talking about the Solosokus Sabine thing. That I didn't even honestly give any attention at all to what was happening with the bad guys that we have here, because that in and of itself is another can of worms. Mm-hmm. So this, I forget what her name is, but the 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 I guess the Dathomira witch. Okay, so she's a witch. Okay, she looks nothing like a witch that we've seen. Like she looks nothing like that race. Mm-hmm. But okay, I guess she's a witch. Who is she? Why is the Dathomiri witch in line with the Empire when she should know that the Empire was part of the reason for why you know her people were annihilated? But that's okay, whatever. But why is the Dathomiri witch a friend of Thrawn's? Mm-hmm. What? And and then also. This, how does she know where Thrawn even is? I guess, like, he's fine, and I guess he gave her a phone call saying, okay, I'm okay, Yeah. but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here for reasons that were not made clear. Somehow gain an army. I don't know how. Well, I, I feel I know, because I, I remember on this show years ago, Peter and I were reading about like rumors or, le- or about like what the animated version of this show was going to look like. Um, this may very well have changed, but my understanding was wherever they were zapped into was in the unknown regions. And remember, that's where Thrawn is from. He's not from this galaxy. He's from that other galaxy. And his people are from that galaxy. And his people have an army. Mm. So it could very well be that it's his army. But what I remember reading, though, was that the Chiss people, that's Thrawn's people, were themselves fighting their own war with a different race of people. Which is like the scrolls and, and the Kree, basically, if you think about Marvel in that, in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, although how the fuck that plays into whatever's going on here, I don't know, 
Um, but again, that also could very well be, Peter mentioned this himself when we were talking about it through text, that, well, that very well could still happen, but it may be in the Heir to the Empire movie? But if that's the case, then all of this really feels is like, oh, this is just the prologue to Heir to the Empire. You know? Maybe in that way, I don't know. But either way. Okay, fine. That's just her, this character. Morgan, I guess. Is it Morgan? I don't even know. Um, then come in the people who bail her out. I guess it just seemed logical considering how often he used them in the animated shows to assume, oh, they're just more Inquisitors. Okay. So I guess they're not. Mm-hmm. Because we do see one Inquisitor in the second episode. Marek, apparently they give him a name. I, I didn't even realize they gave him a name until after the fact. Um, but he apparently is the last of the Inquisitors. But the other two, Balon and that other chick, they're not Inquisitors. Mm-hmm. But they're also not Sith, but they're also not Jedi. And Ahsoka also is not a Jedi. And it's kind of getting maddening to a point because it's like, okay, if you are going to have Force Wielders be something else, can we try and explore what that means? Instead of them just literally acting and walking and talking like they're either Sith or Jedi. Because the bad guys here, they act like Sith for the most part. Balon is interesting because he was showing a bit of... I don't know if he has a sense of honor to him, but he also said like he didn't really want to kill Ahsoka, which is very not what a Sith would do mm-hmm. in that situation. Like He felt kind of like... Because he said that it would be a shame because there's so few Jedi left. But she's not a Jedi. <laughs> she's not. That she's not a Jedi either way. So it's like again, like in the Last Jedi. Speaking of, <laughs> you know, I guess there was in between the time that the Last Jedi and the Rise of Skywalker came out. There was a lot of interesting like conversations being had about like what the future of you know, light side force wielders would be called. If the Jedi are gone, then what would this new order be called? And when the title was first announced, the Rise of Skywalker, there was this theory out there that the new Jedi order would be the Skywalkers, which I'm not crazy about the name, but that was an interesting concept to play at. But then again, none of us had any idea how inept and um, out of his depth, really, J.J. Abrams was at being able to construct anything worth a damn. So that was a waste of, <laughs> of breath at that point. But still, um, there were... I think Ryan Johnson was also like saying some interesting commentary on Kylo Ren's behalf about you know letting the past die. And Kylo Ren wanted to move beyond the Sith and the Jedi. But then again, he very much was still on a rigid dark side point of view my thing is can we exp- if, if if we're going to be insistent on having these jedi sith non-jedi non-sith characters take up a lot of airtime in, you know we don't have to have star wars shows be entirely about them but if we are can we use them to actually fucking explore what it means to not be part of either order 
Because what we're left with here is like a bunch of characters that look like Sith, that look like Jedi, but they both claim they're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. And then also, um, I don't care about the bad guys at all. So in the first lightsaber fight, we have one dark side lady who I don't know and doesn't say anything. And then we have a character who I used to know, but often doesn't say anything either. And it was a fairly lackluster fight at that. And I'm like, I was just so bored. <laughs> no. Yeah. I honestly, I, I, I don't even like the conversation anymore of like, what's the light side or the dark side Jedi I know I know I'm over it I know it's just kind of like I don't know (laughs) I just yeah I'm over it really I really don't because they ultimately they they decided to do nothing with it they don't do anything with it we don't know the difference other than just the Sith are bad I really like can we get any more details about that I literally have a book of the Sith mind you and I still don't know what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) Sith is. <laughs> yeah. It's. I feel like ever since um, episode nine, we have been inundated with like. Star Wars. Events. Uh, that are like. <sighs> completely absent of anything logical that's that's the the nice way of saying it right um so many things have happened since that movie where it's like what (laughs) what now what's going on here and then they 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 refuse to go anywhere interesting with it you're right I, i understand that 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 perspective why would we want to when they just continue but i mean i'm i'm arguing well i'm interested if you're actually gonna do something yeah if you're going to address it, but you're not doing that, so let's just stop doing it then. Mm-hmm. Let's just, like, stop kidding ourselves. Like, if you're not going to go into it at all, then stop fucking bringing it up, is what you're saying. And I and I understand that. And I would be of the same persuasion as well. If you're going to do nothing with it, then fuck it all and just be as you are. Um, What else? So, uh, they're at this Stonehenge-looking place that apparently was, like, built by people who came from another galaxy, which, again, why? I don't know. Maybe, you know, okay. Maybe I'm harping too much on that. Um, you know, little things going forward. Okay, so what was some stuff in the two episodes? Oh, also, <laughs> it was really funny to me how I wasn't the only one to take this away with, but, like... um. I couldn't I I couldn't help but think of Qui-Gon Jinn so many times because of, you know, when Sabine Sabine got fucking stabbed through with a lightsaber. Mm-hmm. And then she like wakes up the and, and I thought, oh, they're gonna save her with like the force healing power, which I don't like, but okay. That at least would make sense. And it's funny how I was like already like attacking it, but that would have been preferable to then what actually happened, which was Oh, she's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a bandage. <laughs> and <laughs> it's like she was it, shot. It's just a little cut through. Little hole right there. And I'm like, wow. 
man, poor Qui-Gon. <laughs> <laughs> they burned him alive. Yeah. Not alive, he was dead, but it's like, if that's all it took, what, he couldn't have held on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just, that's not him. There were so many people in this universe that if that happens, that's it, lights out. Mm-hmm. You're done. But now, like, again, this is just an internal thing that someone should have been speaking up about this behind the making of the show. Like, hey, we're kind of um, on our third or fourth, like, character now that we've stabbed and they've somehow survived. Maybe we should stop mm-hmm. that. No, no one's even acknowledging it. No one's bringing that up. That's really cheap. Okay. Mm. Oh, also, uh, this is a side situation, and I guess you could say this is kind of like a loose connection to the events that took place in Season 3 of The Mandalorian that were not related to Mandalore itself, because in Mandalorian Season 3, there were, there were some escapades into the New Republic on Coruscant and what was being done with the uh, the former Imperials, which I'll give The Mandalorian this. Um, I wasn't bored with that episode. I was actually interested. Um, but it did come across like a very pale imitation of Andor. Mm-hmm. And all and all I could think about was like, wow, if Andor had handled this, then this would be an inter- interesting show to work with. In fact, I make the argument that um, once they wrap Andor, they should get Tony Gilroy to come back and do... Uh, that show basically that would explain the fall of the new Republic. Um, but I don't know, but then that would also give him the opportunity to collaborate again with, uh, Genevieve O'Reilly who plays Mon Mothma and, and see how her new Republic operates. That would be an interesting show. And I think a really good spiritual successor to Andor if they were inclined and if they were interested in doing that, but something tells me they're not going to spend the money to do that. Um, so there's that. But the thing is, in um, in the second episode, they go to Corellia, the shipyard, where it is revealed that under the jurisdiction of the New Republic, they basically kept this place in operation with the majority of the people who were working under the Empire. <laughs> the Empire... If in case it wasn't clear, um, the evil empire, as it was mainly called in the Star Wars films, right? They could not have been more stand-ins for Nazis than maybe anything else, like, in a work of fiction. They're very much space Nazis. Um, And in Andor, especially, they've never come closer to feeling like Nazis than in that show. Especially when they brought in sadistic scientists to fucking, like, torture people um, in ways that were pretty horrific. So, I mean, that's what Sith are. You know, they they enslave the galaxy at their own, you know, at their own leisure and everything. So, um, here's the thing. Why would you allow many of the people who I understand they, they, they had a line in there to explain it away that, Oh, well, I mean, we didn't really have a choice because 
this place wouldn't be operating if it wasn't for us. This particular galaxy far, far away has at their disposal something that I don't believe we do, and that is droids. <laughs> They've got droids, right? Um, I don't know. You're telling me that there aren't any more like abandoned battle droid factories? We found a, several of them in the Rebels show. Uh, you, you can't just go and look for them, boot them up, or maybe, hey, put in an order for, you know, battle droids. Um, it's just, it, at every turn, the, the Favreau Filoni Mandovers really has, I feel done a disservice in, in, in their attempts to connect what is happening in their shows to what happens in the sequel trilogy. Because what they've done is dumbed things down to such a cartoonish level that that's the way that they see how things fit with the sequel trilogy. Whereas if somebody like Tony Gilroy was like working on the, the politics of what's happening in, in the New Republic it would be far more riveting. It would be far more interesting to see the downfall of a new Republic, basically, instead of them just being idiots all the way throughout. And then what makes it even look worse is that fucking, like, Hera and Ahsoka, after they arrest the Imperials, just stand there and you, and you see them talk. And I, I, I'm sorry, it was just so comical. We're like... <laughs> They don't say these words at all, but that conversation went like, you know, Hera goes to Ahsoka. Wow, can you believe this? I know, right? It sucks. Anyway, <laughs> that's pretty much what that conversation amounted to. Yeah. It was like, Hera, you're like a high-ranking general in this new rebellion. I am sure you have a direct line to the Chancellor Mon Mothma. Get her on the phone and talk to her because this was a f this was a fucking disaster. This is a fucking disaster. Mm. And they're like, "Wow, that sucks." Honestly, I don't remember the conversation they had after. <laughs> after it wasn't a conversation yeah. at all. It was like a, it was like a what a line or two at best. Mm -hmm. That's why you don't remember it. Anyway. There was this one guy that was like, for the Empire! And then, like, Ahsoka, did, Ahsoka was like, what? The fuck? <laughs> she fucking like. I like how he just, like, screamed that shit out. And he was so far away from them. <laughs> like, he's, it's like he said at first, for the Empire, got his gun out, mm. got, up, got up out of his seat. And then before any of that, she, Ahsoka was like... And then she's like... Yeah. Not only that, though, but, like, I fucking hated the cuts... <laughs> Be like a cut between Ahsoka and Hera to those guys, um, like literally the I don't know the villains in there, but like, like literally cut cut back and forth in their faces, looking at them like oh my gosh they're all, they're on to us and all that. I'm like wow you guys you're making it really you're obvious, it really <laughs> obvious, yeah. <laughs> like it should have been like the focus on the guy with the you know they were talking to like he should have been the one being like oh no I can't do this or like you know like. Tch. 
yeah. he should have been the one like stressing us out, going like, "Okay, this guy's gonna turn. Like, okay, he's get about to, he's about to get caught. Cool." And then we hear the for the empire, and that's when we go like, "Oh shit, <laughs> there's there's more of them." Okay, you know, it's, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it was just I'm so, that was legitimately funny, but no, it wasn't meant to be funny. It just ended up being funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so. If there wasn't already enough reasons as to how the live-action version of Ahsoka is just so inferior to the animated version, we haven't even talked about how she moves like in these fights. Man, these fights are so bland. Mm-hmm. There's like nothing to them. I watch them and I'm like, cool. Yeah. I, f- I feel nothing. Uh, honestly, I can't even like remember. I can't. I can't remember. It's just I feel I don't know what it is exactly. Like maybe it is the choreography, maybe it's the editing. I don't know. I mean, one of the best lightsaber fights was in Clone Wars with Ahsoka and Darth Maul. You know the throne room <laughs> fight. You know that one was awesome. You know they. Just it looked visually cool. It looked, you, you can tell it was choreographed, but like you can still, but it didn't feel like forced or anything. I don't know how to explain it, but like I don't know, it just looked great <laughs> all around and all that. And there was some stuff going on around them that looked really cool too. And this one's just bland, boring, flat, really. The, like the and it's like Ahsoka's an amazing fighter. Like you just mentioned with her duel with Maul. I mean. What about her duel with the Inquisitors and Vader into the Rebels show? Those were incredible fights as well. And yet you look at her here and she moves so slow. Like, we've seen her literally wipe the floor with so many challengers. An Inquisitor should be nothing to her. Mm. And yet she was looking like she was just like having a hard time with one of them. Now, it's come to our attention Maybe they're trying to sneakily say that that Inquisitor, there's a lot more to him than we know so far. I don't know, I guess. Yeah. They didn't didn't seem to really care or pay that much attention to that character at all. I mean, to me, it was just like more cannon fodder, Mm -hmm. if anything. Um, But like... I don't know. I don't know. What what exactly is the end of this? Where is this going? Like what Thrawn is Thrawn gonna bring the Empire back? Is that what he wants mm-hmm. to do? Um how does Ezra fit into all of this? Like it's it's just oh well, one thing I don't know if you noticed this, but in the beginning of the second episode I think uh, I saw that when Balon, one of the dark side users, they're on that planet that is like, I guess, um, where they have to go to start their journey to the other galaxy. Um, he looks at the sky. Did you see something moving in the clouds? No. So there was a noise and moving in the clouds is one of the Pergil, the space whales that jump through hyperspace. Mm which would indicate that 
they know this is the way to travel to the other galaxy. So it's like, I didn't catch it myself, but I saw some, you know, video of it. And like they were like, what? Where? Yeah, and like you have to be looking like really carefully, but you do see the shape and the, and the noise that it makes. And I think Balon is looking at it um, as he looks up into the sky. Mm. That's cool. So, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it also brings up another interesting question. When the Pergo, at the end of Rebels, you know, basically take all of Thrawn's forces and jump into hyperspace, how is everybody okay after all of that? I think we're just going to have to guess that the Pergo like, covered the whole thing, like the whole ship, or at least like... yes. The open spaces of it, they covered those up and then they were probably just safe. I don't know. Yeah, but what I find curious is how did the Pergil just like allow Thrawn and his people to live? (laughs) Yeah. Because if you you saw Mandalorian Season 3, there was a meeting of the Shadow Council um, where Moff Gideon was there and all these like um, remaining... Uh, Imperial warlords, and one of them was Captain Pelion. Captain Pelion uh, is from Thrawn's uh, uh, his armada, and you you don't see him in Star Wars Rebels, but you hear his voice. So what happens was the Pergil take Thrawn's fleet first, and then they take his ship along with him. So it looks like everybody survived just fine. So, then what happened to Ezra? Did Ezra get away with the Pergo and Ezra just left them there? Like, there's so many questions about, like, what the logistics of that would be. Because remember, the last time we saw Thrawn, the tentacles wrapped around him. Mm, That's true. Right? Like, and so that when they're at the other end of the galaxy, what, did, like, Ezra, like, show mercy? Is that what happened? Like, I mean, I'm just, I'm. this is at a point where we've stopped talking about the show and we're just like, I'm just curious, like, what the logistics are of what actually happened. Yeah. I don't even know what kind of damage that would do exactly, you know. I mean, you're fucking jumping through light speed. Yeah. I don't know. That's weird. I just... No, this makes sense. (laughs) I did want to play a video, though, of... um... Now, I don't know... This is a video from Grace Randolph, and she was doing a review on this episode, and she says some things here that I I don't know if she legitimately means that she's heard rumors about this, but I want to play it because I genuinely want to hear your reaction to it because, to me, this just sounds absolutely insane, like completely insane. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like... 36 seconds. Um, here it is. Doorways to different important moments. And he used that uh, opportunity to save Ahsoka from dying in her fight against Anakin like a season or two beforehand. And there are rumors that Ahsoka might do a similar thing on this show where she goes through space and time to save Anakin. From what point to do what? We'll see. I don't know if they're going to do that. That would be quite interesting. Could they retcon Anakin through this show? I don't even know if that's a good idea. I think that would be insane, but I am also kind of into it because we would, we need all the cool Jedi we can get. So, so maybe. Now you correct me here if I heard that the wrong way, 
But it sounded like she was saying that there have been rumors that Ahsoka would go through the portals of space and time that are able to be accessed through the world between worlds to save Anakin. But that literally... I mean, I don't, even, I don't even know why I would bring that up as, as a, a thing that would knock it down because this, like, they've lately been retconning everything. But, like, if you go back in Rebels, Ahsoka was there to stop Ezra from doing that to Kanan. Ezra was trying to save Kanan by pulling him out of time. Mm-hmm. And Ahsoka stopped him because that, wasn't the, that was the wrong thing to do. So then why would she, all these years later, attempt the very thing that she prevented from somebody else doing in the first place? Mm-hmm. But then again, consistency isn't necessarily a thing on this show mm-hmm. from what I, it looks like. But the idea that she would do that, no, the idea that that's going to happen on this show, like it breaks Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do that. If you take Anakin out before he becomes Darth Vader... Do you see those three posters behind me? Mm-hmm. A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi? Yeah. Those are erased. <laughs> what, what do you mean? Unless the rumors are there's going to be a scene between Ahsoka and Anakin in the world between worlds. Maybe maybe she does pull him out, but then he push, she pushes him back in or he pushes himself back in. Hayden Christensen is in the show, right? Is he? They said that they said that he would he was involved in some way. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Um You say that now. <laughs> <laughs> you say that now. Um Your thoughts on any of these ideas? Uh, I mean, I hope none of them happens. Um <laughs> I remember when we saw the finale of Rebels. And you see that moment where Spine, you know, she's looking at the mural. She turns around, she sees Ahsoka, and we see her in a white cloak with the giants with a big staff. And, you know, and our first thoughts was, "Oh, dang, she's like gained some wisdom here or something." You know, she's like, <laughs> you know, like we thought, like, oh, okay, she learned a lot of, you know, she must have learned a lot about the Force because that was my theory is that when uh, Ezra pulled her out of time. She wanted to hide away because technically she should have been dead. That was one of her reasons. But then also because it was the Emperor who, like, also wanted to, like, gain the power, I guess, of those world between worlds and all that. And so I thought, okay, maybe she wanted to learn more about these kinds of things of, like, this whole world between worlds or any just another, any other type of, like, mystical objects or pathways. Um, she wants to learn more about them so that the emperor doesn't get her his hands on them and all that. Like that's what I thought. <laughs> mm, really? Okay, that that would be something. Yeah, but no, that happened clearly. <laughs> the show just says that that she was just. Doing... Or maybe it did, and we just don't know about it yet because apparently that's how this show works, mm-hmm. right? Is things just happen all the time, but we didn't know about yeah. it until they tell us that it happened. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you say that, if that theory is true, that she does find another portal between, between 
another portal to the world between worlds and pulls him out uh, to me that just doesn't seem like her character <laughs> like i said i think she's trying to like but par par for the par course, for course right yeah. with this show yeah so yeah i just i wouldn't like that at all even if it is just like she sees them to meet him or something i don't know yeah <laughs> We've been talking about this for what? Two hours. Um, oh, oh my God. <laughs> I didn't realize it was that long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, at the end of the day, though, I, I really do just feel bad because this this ended up being quite poor. Mm-hmm. Coach Andor. <laughs> yeah. Um... Moving on from this, though, we should talk about what's going on with, and this is related to Disney Plus in a way, and also in the Star Wars content on Disney Plus. So, in our reaction video, we had touched on briefly that some pretty shocking news was announced. Well, first of all, that was preceded by surprising news that came out the previous week where Disney announced that they're going to be putting out Prey on physical media, 4K, Blu-ray and everything. And Prey, for those who are not aware of, was one of the recent Predator sequels. Um, It came out last year, 2022, in August, I want to say, around there, or July, August time. But it didn't come out in theaters. It came out, um, it was supposed to, I think, be in theaters at some point, but then or maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was always supposed to be a Hulu thing. But anyway, I forget if it was in development when 20th Century Fox was killed by uh, Disney or not. But I don't remember the timeline of that. But the point is, it ended up being a Hulu exclusive. You know, a Hulu original. And when it comes to Disney, um, they have never ever put anything that debuted on streaming on physical media. Um more to the point, they had announced earlier in the year that they were not going to be doing any more physical media releases in, in the in Australia. Mm. They pulled out completely out of the game. So it was surprising to hear that, of all things, they were going to start doing it with Prey. And then what was even more surprising was uh, the following week, it was announced that Mandalorian season one and two, as well as WandaVision and um, Loki, would be coming to 4K Blu-ray in the form of like special collector's edition steelbooks. And with, um, I think there were also rumors that uh, they, they very much intend to also release more of their signature Disney Plus stuff that also would include... I know that Falcon and the Winter Soldier is the one that they have planned next. Um, this is a step that is new for them to take. And one that I feel like it surprised all of us. And it it, it seems to suggest that maybe one of... It, it could suggest two things. One, maybe they do see an opportunity here to make a penny. Um, or two. And then the other thing is, um, they really need to make a penny or two or <laughs> yes. here. So 
that that's where I I come at it. You, David? No, yeah, I think they're just desperate now, and they realize they fucked up. <laughs> because I I really do think that their physical media is what keeps making them money. Not only the, just the physical media, but also like re-releasing some of their shit into theaters. Um, and so yeah, I think they realize that they just kind of fucked up, and they need new ways to um bring in new audiences into their disney plus um whatever (laughs) well i would even say um they just need new ways to bring in direct revenue Mm -hmm. that's the problem with with uh disney plus and streaming is it doesn't bring in direct revenue not like that not not how anything else works anyway Mm -hmm. so they just need to make money yeah they need to make money in some way somehow and this is like, uh, look, in some ways, this was teased earlier in the year when Bob Iger was saying that they were taking another look at physical media. And it turns out he wasn't bluffing. And I'm curious um, to see what the releases look like. I know we have artwork for them, but I'm curious to see how they're received. Mm-hmm. But it is, uh, yeah, definitely something that they're going to continue. I mean, that they're, they're looking at seriously. Uh, and I'm curious to see how it performs, how it sells, and if they do more of that. Because if it ends up being successful, they may go back to doing that. Because, I mean, physical media was a big cash cow for Disney for a long time, for decades and decades. Like, how many times did they re-release their animated films or their, their classic animated films, but with, like, different collection titles? Like you mentioned last time that you guys have the 2019 um, collection of Cinderella, which ended up being the exact same disc from the 2012 version of Cinderella. I own the 2006 DVD of Cinderella. um, And then Cinderella came out again this year, 2023. But this is the first true 4K restoration as I mentioned last time as well, they're also working on a 4K restoration for Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And they're also doing 4K restorations of a lot of classic um, animated shorts, short films from the studio that they're also putting on Disney+. Plus. Um, and they've been doing that, I think, uh, throughout the year. So when you put all that together, it really does feel like um, they're... Uh, they're seriously looking at this particular um, market as a means to to make some real money um, wherever possible, which is also just so surprising because, like, I mean, all of us are no strangers to physical media. Mm-hmm. We all have collected physical media, but we've all seen the direction this has been going for years now. Like, nothing more... Even more so than theaters, because theaters are very much still around and they're still being profitable. Um, Nothing more has been affected by the advent of streaming than physical media. Like, it's just like, like for years and years and years now, you've seen like a lot of the retailers like Best Buy or Target, like really, really like dwindle down how um, much space they give. Like, I mean, we mentioned before, Best Buy used to have like a like prime uh, real estate space on the sales floor. Now, if you have it at all, it's like one little shelf 
in the corner of the mm-hmm. store. And that's if you have it all, because I've even heard some Best Buys have just completely gotten rid of that, of selling any discs at all. Mm-hmm. And then Target, the same thing. Target used to have at least like three good rows, two or three good rows of all these uh, you know, physical media discs. Now, it's just one row. Mm-hmm. Walmart is the only one that hasn't really dwindled it that much. But I don't know how much time remains until that change takes place, considering um, everyone else is doing it. So, yeah, man, it's it's interesting. I I don't know if I'm gonna pick up any of these. I if if there is one that interests me, and believe me, there's only one of them. It would be Wandavision. Yeah. Um. But if this does well. Then we could see more of these come out. We might even see, I would imagine at the very least, the Star Wars and the Marvel ones would take priority. So that would mean they could do Boba Fett. If they do Andor or Obi-Wan, those would be interesting. They could also do um, Falcon Winter Soldier, Hawkeye, Miss Marvel, She-Hulk, all those shows, Moon Knight. Um, But they could also even do it... um, Maybe they may even do that with some of the movies. Like... I could see a Hocus Pocus 2 uh, Blu-ray selling well. Mm-hmm. I could, uh, and I could even see an interest for Willow. They removed it from Disney Plus, but they could do like a home, you know, media release, and maybe that'll do well as well. Mm-hmm. Who knows? There's really no way of telling at this point. We're gonna have to do a little wait and see, but you know. Uh, Overall, I would say it's definitely good news. Mm -hmm. And we'll take all the good news we can get these days. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of where we're at. Speaking of not so good news. We were, what, a little over a month away from seeing Dune Part Mm 2? And I say we were because that no longer is the case. (laughs) It was supposed to come out October. The trailer was amazing. But then at the last minute, it was moved because um, the studios uh, and movie executives refused to pay um, their writers and actors what they feel they're owed. And so because of that, this strike is going to continue seemingly on and on and on. And because WB has seemingly no faith in the film doing well without a press tour led by Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya, they've made the decision to move it to 2024. And that isn't even the worst part. The worst part is they moved it to March. And I'm like, did you not see? how packed this March was and how several films suffered. Like you yourself saw Shazam Fury of the Gods on your own part, WB. You saw that crater like nobody's business. But at the same time, Dungeons and Dragons from Paramount also cratered. I don't think that's the month to do Dune. If anything... Move it to May, move it to June. Maybe it'll get that summer movie crowd in there, but 
March doesn't seem like a good play. Mm-hmm. And then also, it doesn't seem like a good play from the perspective of, wait a minute, I thought that you, this was like your awards franchise. Don't you want this to do well with nominations and wins? If you release that movie in March, are the voters going to remember that movie even came mm-hmm. out by the time that the nominations come around? Like, hey, you're basically really... um shooting yourselves in the foot not just with box office but also with awards all because you refuse to give the actors and the writers what they so clearly deserve it's bullshit oh yeah for sure um i think it would have still would have done well even without um those two actors promoting it uh, i mean i think i'm pretty sure at least dune is a Pretty big franchise, big fan base. So I think it would have done pretty well. And since it's a part two, could have easily gone people to rewatch uh, the first one on HBO or on Max. <laughs> so yeah, there could have, there still could have been a lot of things you could have done um, without your actors at least. Um, and yeah, and then March, yeah, I think they should have stuck with at least a summer. Uh, release date or something that would probably would have helped them more it's so disappointing because I was really looking forward to that movie yeah same and it, it also it, it felt like such a fall movie to a fall season movie oh boy anyway that happened um I, I'm quite curious um David you have seen a number of Studio Ghibli films, correct? Yes. Uh, so last uh, podcast with Peter, we talked about how we had gone to uh, see Princess Mononoke um, in the theater. I imagine that's one of the ones that you've seen. Prince, yes, I have seen it. Okay. Um, how about Porco Rosso? No. Okay. Um, again, I'm... Very much a novice when it comes to Miyazaki. I've only seen three, um, two of which were recently. Uh, Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, and we went to go see Porco Rosso. Porco Rosso. Porco Rosso. <laughs> Porco Rosso this last uh, week mm-hmm. um, in the theater, as they say. And I can very much understand how it's looked at as Miyazaki's lesser works. Not because um, the film is what it is, but because I happen to really love it. (laughs) So, of course, if I happen to really adore something, I feel like it automatically goes into this category of, like, underappreciation and not, uh, you know, as widely, you know, cherished as some of the other ones. You know, I was so endlessly charmed by this film I think it, one of its stronger suits is its humor, but it also has, as you would imagine with any Miyazaki film, a lot of heart. But it, it, to me, it, it was just, it was a combination of different things. Um, it has the vibe of a hangout movie. And I love those. I love those kind of films where it's not necessarily plot heavy. Mm-hmm. It's not that character heavy either, but it's very much like 
you, you enjoy the people that you're with yeah. and you're basically just living with them. Mm-hmm. Very much like two of my other favorite films, The Fablemans and even more so Luca. You feel a lot of Luca vibes in this movie. And interestingly enough, I, I didn't catch this, but Peter did. But remember, the name of this movie is Porco Rosso. The main character is Porco, Porco Rosso. And this is a uh, a former World War I uh, vet. He, he flew airplanes, but then he was cursed. Uh, I don't know in the context of, of the synopsis if he cursed himself or if he feels he was cursed. Mm. Uh, into being a pig uh, because of how disgusted he is with humanity. Um, that's just you know the background for that character, and that's the name of that character. But in Luca, the name of the town that the most of the movie takes place in is uh, let's see, Porto Rosso. <laughs> Porto Rosso. Uh, I think it's. Yeah. Is it like Yeah, Porto Rosso. And then the the character is Porco Rosso. So kind of a little bit of a connection there from what you saw. But you know, it it, it it's interesting because this is one of the from what I read anyway, one of the few Miyazaki films where the main protagonist is not uh an adolescent. Mm-hmm. It's like a middle aged adult. Yeah. And there's also some Casablanca vibes in this movie, too. Uh, it happens to take place in the same time. This actually takes place, uh, well, not necessarily the exact same one, but because Casablanca takes place in 1941, and I think uh, Porco Rosso takes place in 1929, but it's very much before the breakout of World War II. It takes place in um, uh, in Europe, close to Italy, but not necessarily in Italy and there very much is uh, uh, the rise in fascism in the background of this film Uh, and and, and Porco Rosso himself is um, kind of a fugitive because he ended up, you know, leaving the forces once, you know, fascism came into rise. And there's a lot of stuff that's kind of like bubbling underneath the surface of this guy and, like kind of like the trauma that he's going through that you don't kind of see at first, but I, I, I felt it was really powerful and um, kind of a special movie too, especially for it's like it's simplicity. I feel like a lot of people have this, have this like idea that if a film has a very simple plot or not much of a plot to begin mm-hmm. with, then that's kind of like, a lesser film or not that great because it's not as intricately designed from a screenplay standpoint or from a design standpoint or on a scale standpoint as something like Princess Mononoke, for instance. It's not on that level, but just because it's on a, it's going for different things does not mean necessarily that by design it is lesser or inferior, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I I happen to really have loved the movie. Um, I actually we, we saw it that same day, and then later on, I turned on Max and I saw it again. Um, now, again, I'm not saying it's the best movie in the world, but there was something about the movie that you know drew my attention back to it. And so, um, 
we were lucky to be able to see it in theaters for my first time. Um, and I thought it was just a, a really uh, special movie at that. So hopefully you'll see it sometime and we can talk about it then. Yeah. Uh, speaking of films, though, we're going to close out the show with this one. Blue Beetle. Yeah. And Blue Beetle is an interesting uh, movie to get into because I feel two ways about it. Um, I feel like this is one of the most, like, when it comes to all of the superhero elements, I'm going to separate that from everything else in the movie, but the superhero tropes, the action sequences, the plot devices, when it comes to just that stuff alone, it's okay. Yeah. It's not bad. It's just very generic. Mm-hmm. It's very been there, done that. It's exactly what you think is going to happen, happens. You've seen it before. It's mostly what's in all the superhero films. And again, it's not bad. In fact, for what it is, it is like leagues above so much other crap that we've been exposed to these last you know few years. So don't misunderstand me in saying that the, that it was like terrible and stuff but because it was you know and, and it wasn't it was done kind of quite well personally though i those moments were the weakest in the movie for me because i felt my attention just like okay well especially when we get to the third act um well not all the third act but in the third act mostly there are like fight scenes between Two characters, and again, it's that trope of like, oh, it's the blue beetle suit, but the villain also has a version of that suit, and they fight against each mm. other. And like, it's and it's in the at, guess what? It's at night. It's in the dark. Explosions happen. It's like seeing this in my sleep. Yeah. It, it's it's basically the third act of Iron Man again. And it's like okay, and that stuff is like take it or leave it. Personally, I leave it. I would not want to watch or sit through that again, but. That's the weakest stuff in the film. And even that isn't really all that bad. It's just by the numbers. Um, the, the rest of it, though, is a whole like different conversation entirely. Because it very much, I think to me, is the first major live-action blockbuster movie that really um, attempted and succeeded in capturing an authentic uh, representation of a Hispanic Mexican culture family on the big screen. I don't recall on this scale of this genre, a, a movie doing it any better than this. It was, and what I liked what I thought made it even more special than other, like, I guess, representation films like um, like Black Panther, if you will, or even Shang-Chi, is unlike those films, here in Blue Beetle, it's more than just, you know, uh, Jaime, who's the main character here, and him getting entangled in those superhero shenanigans to an extent, and I was happy about this, it feels like a lot of those superhero uh, tropes were kind of like an afterthought. Like you, like there were window dressing. Like they mm-hmm. kind of had to be there. And the focus for the first time in one of these movies was not on that, 
but on the main character and his relationship with his family. Like, I walked away from this movie not really thinking of, like, Jaime as being the main focus. I thought of his family being the main focus. And I was so happy to see that they weren't just around for, like, a few scenes here, you know, to see what their life is like at home. I was so happy to see how much his family was involved in his life and how much they were involved in the movie to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, like from like from the, the first, the second, the third act. Because a lot of these movies, we get introduced to them. They're not really characters. They're just kind of like there to show that the characters that we're focusing on have a family. And then that's the last we ever hear from them. But here, they're very much involved in the action. And it it, it, it feels more special, but it also has a dual a duality to it where it, it is more authentic to this particular culture because as you and I, David, belong to this kind of culture, we very much feel the realness of it in how family can be like that for us. Because in this particular culture, for people who may not be in or aware as to what it is like to be Hispanic or what it is like to be Mexican, watch this movie that's exactly what it's like. <laughs> like there and and this is one of the 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 few instances in the last number of years where a film was literally dropping I'm not even sure you'd call them easter eggs or but they were more sort of like references. They were dropping in so many references that you would only know if you were literally Hispanic or Mexican or in that culture or in the know of it. And Oftentimes, when that thing is done with most superhero films and they're just dropping Easter eggs or references left and right, or even in Star Wars lately, Mm. I'm like, okay, I get it. Shut up. But here, because it happened to be, mm, because it was doing these references, it felt less of like, okay, nerds, here you're like, here's your eggs. Let me just get them at you. This felt like, a true the references and at some point felt like the main point as to what we're trying to do here and that is a celebration of the culture a celebration of the of the mexican hispanic people in a way that had never really be, been done before you know um you you go to communities uh of different you know colors in creeds and you know of, of all sorts and they speak to films that um really meant a lot to them in terms of representation like for the first time they felt like their people their culture their existence their identity their lives were being portrayed on the screen and that they felt like they were being seen and acknowledged by society by everybody else for the first time that's why crazy rich asians meant so much to the Asian community. That's why Black Panther meant so much to the African-American community. In some instances, that's why Wonder Woman itself meant a lot to females and women who, you know, feel invisible. And in a lot of ways, I mean, the closest we had to a true celebration of Mexican culture before this movie was Coco. And to an extent, Encanto. Uh, But really, really it was Coco. Mm -hmm. And then Blue Beetle here comes and I, I think kind of one-ups 
you know, Wonder Woman or Black Panther or Crazy Rich Asians um, because of how much it's over delivering for its intended audience. Um, like there was so the audience that I was watching it with, and this is a predominantly Mexican American community got all those jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Like we got all those jokes and I mean, they, they were hitting so hard. Um, one of my personal favorite ones was, um, when, uh, uh George Lopez, he plays, I think uncle, I forget the, the name of it. He plays the uh, uncle Rudy. He plays Uncle Rudy here, and um, he ends up uh, helping out with the plot, with, with the plot device basically. But he has like a um, little like makeshift machine mm-hmm. that um, interrupts the security feed of the building they want to break into. And I didn't think they were going to go with it this way, but I was I was really enjoyed how he called it uh, El Chapulín. <laughs> <laughs> And I and then what what really sold it was later on when we saw um, in the security feed that um, the feeds themselves were like cut off and on the security cameras or the security TVs in the control room um, was playing El Chapulín Colorado. Yeah. Colorado. <laughs> And it was even funnier when, like, some <laughs> some security guard, he was just like, "Hey, I know that it's Chapulín." It's <laughs> just like the way he said it, though. Too, I think that's a. I don't know if I'm. I could be wrong, but I think that guy was a comedian too. He, I, I don't know. He, it he was, was. There was one video of him going viral, and he was. He was. It was something like. Man, I don't understand why Chewie is a nickname for us. Like, he's too tall to be Mexican or something like that. Oh, my God. And, and then he goes, he's like, you know who's a true Mexican? Arturito, right there. He even talks to Mexican. I can't whistle. I can't. I can't. Okay, that, no, I that loud whistle, I cannot do it. That's, but, like, he just goes. But basically, like. That's it. So, I think he, I think he he walked in saying like no mames way el chapulín colorado. <laughs> uh, I think that's what he was saying. That was just so funny. Um, but again, the grandmother was hilarious. I mean, the revelation of her being like a freedom fighter <laughs> <laughs> and her basically like doing the plan of attack yeah. to storm the building and then to cut to like the dot the the granddaughter's reaction was like, damn, grandma. Mm. <laughs> But you know how I really enjoyed in this film um, more than I thought I would. So, George Lopez. Yeah, he was funny. I mean, he, he was. They were trying really hard for him to be the comedic relief and all that. Like you can tell that. But I mean, he mm-hmm. he was. I found his show hilarious. The George Lopez show. Oh yes, yes. And so. And then, and then I mean, it. it maybe there, there was maybe a line or two that didn't work, mm-hmm. but everything else did. Yeah. Everything else like landed and it, and it hit like. Um, how he even even little quirks how he was like crying about how, how his truck was like damaged and the, and I guess the the gunfire, um, what's it called again his introduction uh he was he was late and they had La Chona the song playing on the radio yeah. and then how he's like kind of not conspiratorial but also just like very paranoid about like security footage and everything mm-hmm. and like he said for them to walk in and everything, um. No, I, I totally bought him, uh, in the role of like the lovable like uncle that also lives with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, and again, 
I also really enjoyed um, Jaime's father, who in, in this instance, though, was kind of like an opposite to the the Lopez, the George Lopez stuff, because the George Lopez stuff was there for, for the comedic relief in it, and it landed. But everything with the father was for like a, a very different thing overall. And I feel like what was really powerful about the film in ways that I wasn't expecting was uh, what they do with him. Mm -hmm. And especially um, that sequence when they're attacked in their home and they're being made, first of all, there's like a home invasion. They hide, they, they force them to come out. They have like all these guns pointed at them. And it just feels like, and again, like it, it felt so real. Even the beginning of the film felt so real because it opens with the film, the family on on the you know the brink of uh, bankruptcy. That they're they're talking about losing their home, and you know it, it's about in a, on another level, and I think even more universal than just you know pertaining to this particular culture. But if you happen to be a a young person that went through college and you racked up all these like student loans, you have this debt to deal with, but part of why the American dream is broken in today's day and age is because um, it doesn't matter what, if you have a college degree or not, it turns out we were lied to the things, the system has been so broken thanks to the, uh, the Ronald Reagan administration and the conservative policies in the eighties that we've gotten to a point where capitalism is much more of an oligarchy. Uh, this place only works for the top 1%. All the, the politicians are, you know, in service of themselves and the donors that fund their campaigns. doesn't matter what party you belong to. And there are no more, there's no more middle class. There's a bottom class and an upper class. That's kind of where we live right now. And even if you've gone to college and you've gotten your degree, this film opens with a joke that was funny, but it was also kind of sad because he puts on his graduation cap and he goes to a stranger after landing in the airport and asks him, what do I look like? And he says, like, you're six figures in debt. And then it turns out that he finds out that the family is losing the home that he grew up in and he feels an extra level of guilt that that's on him, not just because his family spent so much on him to go to school, but that he had not been able to acquire a, a job that would give him the finances to help them, to help save their home. So, and you have to understand how real that guilt feels like to not just every young person that went to college, went into debt, and then got themselves absolutely nothing to show for it or nothing that can sustain them financially, but especially if you belong to, um, well, for what it's even saying, for a Hispanic or a Mexican household, if you did that, you're oftentimes the first person in your family to seek higher education and you're always encouraged to do that. And then when you come back and you don't have very much in the way of finances, you don't have very much in the way of real material needs to show for it. You feel personally guilty and responsible for feeling like a waste of space for feeling like all that time that you put into school was a complete and abject waste of time. And what I commend this movie for doing was speaking to that very real, um, what's it called? Uh, 
existence out there. Now, didn't necessarily like do all that much with that issue. Again, it's like most comic book films where like they touch on these issues um, and they don't really delve into it that much because the story of the film ha- happens to be with, um, you know, all these superhero entanglements. But, and it may be just because this time I related so much personally to the family. I related so much personally to what Hyman was going through that it it hit it landed a little bit differently this time than it did with all the other films that um, were were speaking to to these real world issues. Um, but it also succeeded in being very emotional too because you it, it got you to really buy into the family dynamic of it, but it also got you to like the family too. So when horrible things happen. Um, in particular in that scene when they're being like, you know, removed from their home, that in and of itself is also like every like Hispanic family's nightmare to have like all these cops show up, take them out of their house in the middle of the night with guns pointed at them. Fucking brutal. Also how that scene ends up going Mm -hmm. in ways that I, I honestly wasn't expecting to. So I would say that to me, the film succeeded overall because of the representation, because of the family dynamic. Also, and this also plays into the representation part of it, but the humor consistently landed as mm. well. So those are all aspects to which I could absolutely say, go see Blue Beetle. Also, the soundtrack's amazing. Yes, that's something that my sister and I kept having fun with, especially when George Lopez first came on. Me and her were just yes. We, in my mind, I literally went "Essa" like that, and then the next thing you know, fucking George Lopez and Jaime are going "Essa." I'm like, "What the fuck? How the hell?" <laughs> and yeah, so, basically. Yeah, and so I mean, yeah, this is a, quite a bit, few things that are related to in this movie and all that, and yeah, like you mentioned too, like they really. I think they really did capture uh, the um, uh, the Hispanic culture pretty well. Um, there are some things that people complained about, but I'm kind of like, I don't know, if, like <laughs> you know, like the biggest one people complained about was how George Lopez called this truck um, taco the taco, and I'm just kind of like, but it's a Tacoma. <laughs> like, do you not get the joke? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> What were they thinking that it was like insensitive to call insensitive, it insensitive, or it's just kind of like wow, they're really hitting it hard that they these are Mexican, uh, that these are Mexicans or something like that. And I'm kind of um, like, I mean, it wasn't that bad. Like, <laughs> just kind of chill out. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm. I know that there are plenty of movies that have been made in the past that very much were like making a lot of stereotypical jokes mm-hmm. at the expense of our community, but that isn't exclusive to us. That's kind of like what Hollywood's stock and trade was like for decades upon decades, making films that feature minorities and making fun of them at the exact same time. We're in this new wave of um, filmmaking where that no longer is the case, and there have been more stories coming out where it honors them and respects them and, and, and props them up and celebrates diversity. Um and breaks those long-held, you know, stereotypes. And I think, I, I can think of no instance in this film where I felt like my culture or my community was being belittled or exploited. Mm-hmm. Same. No, but also, like, 
to hit it on again. Like, oh, if, if anyone thinks like, oh, they're, they're hitting it too hard that, you know, they're trying to really make it seem or like they're, they're hitting it way too hard that this family is Mexican. And, you know, they use that, the taco thing as like as part of their evidence. My sister, she likes to dye her hair red. When she first did that, all of her friends started calling her Chile. So like, we do this kind of things. <laughs> like it's that's how we, that's are. How we are. We always get everything names. Yeah. Everything has to have a different. Even though <laughs> something already has a name, we always love to give names. Mm-hmm. Like how many names does your sister have? Like you call her Ale. Mm-hmm. Uh, her full name is Alexis. She also goes by Chile. Like my parents are mad. They go by Alejandra. <laughs> oh my god! You see, <laughs> she's like so many different names. Yeah, yeah. It's uh yeah I mean it's so yeah I, I I thought they really call her Alejandra yeah when they're angry uh oh oh yeah when they're angry I get that but like I thought when when they're when okay no yeah no <laughs> it's it's like you know my mom's calling her in the distance she's not answering and then you know by the third time Alejandra and and so yeah that kind of shit happens um but yeah no I just I think they got the cultural cultural stuff down. That's really why I enjoyed it the most. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't yeah. say, like I said, like you mentioned too, it's it's a generic story. You know, we knew from the very beginning how things were going to go down, especially uh, especially with the dad, with Jaime's character arc, with the villain. Um, like, we just knew everything that was going to happen from the very beginning. It's just movies hit different, you know, when it, when it does kind of like f- focus on something that you relate to, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm not, it's, you know, like one movie that I did relate to, it was The Fablemans. I mentioned that. I'm not Jewish, <laughs> you know, like it, we mentioned, I'm, my family's from Mexico and all that. You're also not a 76 year old Jewish filmmaker. Yeah. I'm also, yeah, not <laughs> 76. Yeah. That. But I found it insane, you know, that him as a kid, he loved movies. He, like, something about it, like, really attracted him to making it. Then when he moves to Arizona, I moved to Arizona to like learn. I, yeah, I, I wasn't for the purpose to learn movies, but like when I did move here, I really started getting into more of that. And then so did he, and the main character in the Fablemans and all that. And it's just like, what the fuck is going on here? And so, yeah, when, when something just relates to me, it always hits. Uh, I'll mention another one. Um, always Spur of the Heart. Uh, that's another Studio Ghibli movie. That one, I saw that movie when I first moved here. And, you know, like I said, like I was finally like going to learn more about filmmaking and all that, really learn more about the business and all that. And that story, part of, part of the story in that is that the girl is finally going to like pursue something that she wants to do. Like she's finally going into it. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> it's just, how the hell? It's so... It also reminds me of another film that, if memory serves correct, all of us kind of like had a personal connection with um, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if you haven't seen, I'm going to stop this show right now dead in its tracks. I don't care. Peter and Kyle be damned. <laughs> you can fuck off as far as I'm concerned. If you haven't seen Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, what are you doing with your life? That is the feel-good comfort film of the decade. Done. Close the book. That's it. We're done here. We'll see you in the 2031. That's it. So go on iTunes or Amazon or whatever, you know, store, uh, the online store you want to go to. Rent it. 
I'm 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 sure it's like real cheap to like rent it by now. Um, on you know video on demand, Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. It stars Leslie Manville. Um, I know she was in the the long list uh, at BAFTA for best actress, mm. and in my view, I feel she should have been considered for best actress because she was incredible in that role. And the film overall is a kind of charm that you don't get too often anymore. Yeah. Um, really, at the movies. Um, in theaters or even um, really on streaming. Like this, this is a different tangent altogether. But honestly, David, like so many streaming films, I avoid like the plague. Mm-hmm. Like it has to be made by somebody who I know, like a filmmaker that I really know and whose work I, I like. Or it has to be getting a lot of like attention or buzz for me to even consider because there's a lot of like <sighs> garbage. That comes on, like, I, I don't really watch Netflix anymore. And I especially don't watch any of Netflix's original programming as far as movies are concerned. Because, like, what do they do? They make the same movie all over again. Just this time it has Jennifer Lopez in it. This time it has The Rock in it. Or this time it has Gal Gadot in it. This time it has Chris Hemsworth in it. It's just the same freaking action movie. It looks like fucking dog diarrhea with some, like, gray sprinkles on top. Um, and that's... I don't know. Like, it, it's like... I, I genuinely don't understand how people can like like that that stuff when there's like so much more character, there's so much more humanity in like literally all the films we just talked about right now in the last like five minutes and even the, and then and then some, mm-hmm. you know, um, like probably I think No Hard Feelings is going to hit Netflix pretty soon and I have a feeling that's going to hit hard, um, but then again people should have gone and seen that in the theater, but nobody wants to see a comedy in the theater. So there's that. Um, by the way, that'll also give you the chance to see No Hard Feelings. Again, it's not the best comedy in the world. It's not really that funny. It is funny where it is. It's more sweet than it is mm. funny. And it's more sweet than it is raunchy. Um, but it's a very good movie, too, and something that deserves to uh, be seen at all. Um, but you're right, though. Uh, sometimes there are those films that just connect with That's why Luca, I connected so much to the... F- not. The film, yes, but even more so like to the character, because I don't think I can think of a character in all of media that resembled who I was like as a child more so than Luca in the way that he's afraid and the way that he's nervous and the way that he's curious and the way that he likes to learn and the way that he likes school and the way that he, you know, just wants to be friends and, and, and wants to be accepted that those were all, you know, qualities that I should and I lived through at that age, at that particular age. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I perfectly understand what you're saying. And, and sometimes, like we've been saying for years, sometimes films connect and sometimes they don't. And like we said earlier in the podcast, you know, there's nuance to everything. It's not just black and white. Mm-hmm. We can have very negative things to say about films that we love, and we can have some positive things to say about things about movies or shows that we hate. I thought Ahsoka was terrible, <laughs> quite honest with you. But Chopper was great in it. <laughs> it's good to see him again. <laughs> Chopper was great. David Tennant was great. I did compliment yeah. the, the quality. Um, some of the footage, like I said, like I mentioned in the sh- uh, in the reaction, like 
something about the footage that made it look like original trilogy. It quality, did, yes. You know, and yes. so I thought that was really, really neat. That was different than Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. That, that There was a, a change there, too. I also happened to really enjoy... Um, hey, you can, you can call me a hypocrite? Sure, but this is a nice little connection. Because I thought it was cool that Clancy Brown, who voiced Governor Ryder Azadi, the former governor of uh, Lothal, who was in prison at first in the show, and then they liberated, and then who also helped them in the finale of Rebels ended up being governor again of Lothal in the New Republic and it ended up being played and perfectly played by Clancy Brown because when they designed the character writer Azadi, they designed him to look like Clancy Brown. And so Clancy Brown gets to play his character again, but this time in live action and he looks the role. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like maybe the fourth character that Clancy, Clancy has played in the Star Wars universe because I think he also played that horned uh, that red-horned guy in the first season of Mando, and he also played uh, Savage Opress in the Clone Wars animated series. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you see, those are those are things that I happen to really enjoy um, about Dave Filoni. It's just, uh, or I guess of that show specifically. Mm. Um, but yeah. Anyway, you're saying about um, connecting about to Blue Beetle. Uh, no, that was pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because I, just, uh, I mean, I found it, it funny. And oh, you mentioned too that the family were really the main, were pretty much the main characters too in the movie and all that. And I love that they came together. To, um, oh my gosh, that part after uh, the you know fam- the police raid the family's house and all that, and they were like, oh, "We'll we'll hold the tears for now." Okay, we gotta do this yeah. thing first. I thought that was so great. And then when they all came together, now we that can cry. was so good. <laughs> I love that. Okay, it's, like I said, and I mentioned this earlier too. It's like I can, I connected with this family. I felt kind of emotional for them. Like it's pretty easy for me to do. Like for me to do that in movies, I couldn't do that with Ahsoka. <laughs> like there was nothing there. <laughs> and I already know these characters too. These were new. The ones in Blue Beetle were new for me. Like I already knew these characters in Ahsoka. But I felt nothing. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, it, it, before we close, we should mention, though, and I'm not even sure what it made like 30 million in its opening weekend. Right? No, it was 25. 25 I think so. Yeah. Um, it is no surprise because. Um, the trailers didn't necessarily look all that great. It, it, in some ways, it was pretty authentic to what the film ended up being, which was a generic superhero film. It, you know, that that's true. Of course, mostly it, it's a DC film. And clearly, if it hasn't been made clear at this point, DC films are... This universe is mm-hmm. dead. It's so bad. Are they even going to release Aquaman at this point? That's how bad things have gotten to. And it just sucks because... If this had come out like even three years ago, that wouldn't have been the case. Mm-hmm. It's just like, and we also have to keep in mind, it's not just like um, DC films, but the overall interest in comic book films has just like yeah. plummeted. Because we've gotten so many of them at this point that audiences, I feel, have, got, have become bored to it. And it's really sad that a movie like this that really catered to and spoke to uh, a different audience to highlight a different, you know, 
audience and um, people just didn't show up to it. And I just wish that this film would have come out at a time where it would have been celebrated and appreciated the, you know, the same way that Wonder Woman was Mm -hmm. the same way that Shang-Chi was the same way that Black Panther was. And yet here we are like the Mexicans can never have their due now. Can they? (laughs) It ended up being that we were the last ones to get this kind of treatment. And yet it, we got it so late that no one cares about it anymore. Great. Yeah, that's really suckish and sad. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, yeah. Anything else to say? Um, no. I cannot believe we've been recording for as long as we have. I know. It, I, we really I went off on Ahsoka. I mean, that was that was mainly oh, the shit. episode. <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah, that's that's how it is. Anyway. Thank you guys for watching and listening. This is our podcast here at Spotlight. Um, our podcasts are available every single Sunday anywhere you listen to podcasts, whether it be on YouTube, uh, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Stay under our red Spotlight for more content and more. You know, Dune's not here anymore, but we'll find things to talk about. Stay tuned with us. Keep, you know, bear with us. Um, and we will see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.